Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Hey, Haunties, it's Allie here. Do you ever listen to our show and find yourself completely overwhelmed with terror by the end of each episode? This episode is sponsored by Vinterra Farms CBD products. No longer will you care whether you live or die after ingesting some of their excellent tinctures, gummies, and or vape pens. Make all your friends and family say, I didn't know you were chill like that, as you listen to horrifying tales of crypts and cryptids unfazed. Does a goat man have you cornered on an abandoned train track? Is a toilet ghost knocking on your bathroom stall door? Whatever your unique situation is, Vinterra Farms has the right CBD product for you. Dehaunt yourself immediately, not with sage, but with its cooler cousin, cannabis. For 15% off your entire purchase plus free shipping, head to VinterraFarmsCBD.com and type in promo code HAUNTED15 at checkout. That's V like Vostok, E, N like Necromancy, T like Time Travel, E-R-R-A, FarmsCBD.com, promo code HAUNTED15. Or just check out the show notes and click the link. Thank you for supporting California farmers and farm workers. And now back to your regularly scheduled haunting. Welcome back to Let's Get Haunted with your hosts, Nat Strawn and Allie. Before we get into today's episode, I just need to insert a quick disclaimer here for anyone listening who might be new to the show. Each month, Nat and I switch off telling each other spooky stories from around the world. This week, it's my turn, and even though you, the listener, can see what the topic of today's show is by reading the title, Nat cannot. She is going into this story completely blind because it's just more fun to listen to a story that you don't already know the ending to. But before we get into today's story, Nat and I have some catching up to do. So if you don't want to listen to us chat with each other, shout out our donors, do some housekeeping, or thank our sponsors, and instead you'd like to skip straight to the story in today's title, all you have to do is expand the show notes and the first sentence of the description in all caps will say SKIP2 and then a timestamp. 
You can skip to that time at any time. Otherwise, if you're still here listening, welcome to today's intro. Welcome back, guys, to episode 141 of Let's Get Haunted and happy almost 420. Yeah. So, okay. I did. You, I know you sent me like a really long text message that was like a bunch of words and letters talking about how you're tired and you need to push the recording another day. But I was like really hungover <laughs> and tired yesterday when I read it, so I like didn't even read. I don't even know what it says. Like I thank God I, because I don't yeah. know what it says. <laughs> so wh- why are you tired? Well, everybody at work is sick right now, um, mm-hmm. but I just took two weeks off. Uh, like I took all of my vacation time to go to Japan, right? So I just feel like absolute shit. But I, I don't feel like I have a cold or so. I just feel like super gross and mm. like this impending sense of doom. Um, and so I was like, maybe I have like a kidney infection or something because I feel like whenever I have a kidney infection, which thankfully does not happen often anymore, I just remember I would always get this like weird feeling of like I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die. Like, but it's not anxiety. It's like this weird sense of like something is wrong but I don't know what um oh, wait are you telling me that you're a psychic medium oh oh maybe so and that actually might be very fitting for today's what, episode like what you're describing is that not psychic you're like you're like okay I feel like something bad is gonna happen and then sometimes something bad happens you know at this point it could be anything <laughs> I have one brain cell left that's just chugging along what I I, I, do, I don't even know if I'm making any sense haunties if you're listening to this and you're like no I understand what you're saying leave a comment on the photo dump because I'm not sure if I understand what I'm saying but what I'm trying to say is that I just feel <laughs> like total garbage i've just have been doing too much but like not mm-hmm. not anything not any one thing that like is even worth talking about other than everyone get excited because natalia filmed some stuff for the patreon and i filmed some yeah. stuff with a guest for the patreon so be on the lookout for that because james DeAngelis, friend of the show james DeAngelis of sugar pine seven beyond the pine and many other projects um is going to be on to talk about aliens for an hour with me Ooh. which was very exciting that's dope yeah it was very cool and he came into the office and he like we haven't had like a person like a guest in this office yet we've done a lot of like interviews obviously as everyone knows but those are all done remotely so this Mm -hmm. was the first time having a guest in the studio um and he was just looking around and he was like wow you guys like did all this by yourself and i was like yeah and he's like this is this is like really impressive and I was like, are you fucking yeah. with me right now? And he was like, no, I'm serious. I can't believe you guys did this yourselves. We're podcasters on accident now and we have a Patreon. But what I will <laughs> say is that I'm proud of the vlogs I've been putting on this Patreon. I've been putting They're fucking excellent. work. You guys, I don't know if you remember, I used to have a YouTube channel. If you don't, it was kind of iconic, uh, very unmedicated chaos vibes in it. And I'm back on that same train because I tell you what, what happened was is I got pneumonia because I was trying to do too much. And now I am doing the opposite. I am waking up. I'm taking pre-workout even though I'm not working out. And I'm finishing like 1,000 tasks a day. <laughs> and I got... What? I got... And then what happened was I started feeling my, my ear was hurting so bad that I woke up in the middle of the night crying. And I was like, why is my ear hurting so bad? And I had to go into the shower and make it really, really hot to relieve some of the pressure from my ear. But it didn't work. And I was still crying. And I thought... Um, something bad, like I didn't know what the fuck was happening. It was obviously an earache. So then I go to urgent care because I don't have insurance. 
and that is the only doctor I can see. And the doctor, first of all, a doctor wearing Crocs with giblets walked in. If you guys don't know what giblets are, <laughs> let me know if you think that was a real doctor who told me I had an ear infection and gave me some antibiotics. And I've been taking the antibiotics and I've been taking the ibuprofen every day. And my ear has gotten a little bit better, but it's still clogged. Now, fast forward to, can I just fast forward to this guy gave me this Amex story last night? Yeah. Why do I look like a dead person? Sorry. I just, I, I had this expanded so that it was only you. And then for some reason, Zoom just glitched and then it popped, like I popped up in the corner and I'm, I just look like a dead toad. But yes, continue, please. That's how I feel. I don't look at myself in that thing because, um... In real life, I'm stunning, but on Zoom meetings with you, literally all the blood has gone out of my skin, and I don't know where it went. (laughs) It is scary. It is terrifying. Um, Maybe that is part of the Zoom's, like, technology is they're, like, taking, harvesting our blood. Don't know. (laughs) Oh, I was going to say that maybe Zoom was created by that that guy that called himself the pickup artist. Do you remember that guy? And he would just neg people into loving him. Yeah. So maybe they're like, oh, we know what we have to do to get people to like us. Make them look like shit on our app so that they think there's something wrong with them. And then they feel really insecure and they just need to like hop on more Zoom meetings to like be around other people and feel a sense of community because we're slowly tearing down their self-esteem one Zoom meeting at a time. Wow. I think you just cracked it. I'm on board with that 100%. Boom. Let me explain to you guys what's going on right now. Natalia and I are both not at our best. It's okay. It's fine. We're it's great. We're gonna push through it. This is actually a. It's great. Everything's great. Everything's fine. I'm not worried about it. You're not worried about it. There's more (laughs) stuff on the local news. Um, I texted Natalia on the day we were supposed to record, and I was like, because I was in this weird like half awake state where I was like so felt so shitty that I couldn't quite fall asleep all the way and then I was just super tired and then you get so tired that you can never fall asleep and so I had texted her first and I was like hey can we push it to like late afternoon because I have not slept at all and I just feel terrible and then I kind of fell half asleep again looked at my phone later and she was like yeah that's fine and then I was like okay cool and then I woke up again and I was like oh no like I feel absolutely god awful I don't you know what it felt like a hangover but I hadn't drank anything and then uh, I texted her again a bunch of gibberish and then luckily she was like yeah it's fine so I guess the gibberish sort of made sense and then (laughs) now we're here (laughs) recording a day later yeah so I I was really tired because I worked my bottle service job on Saturday night but I made the best tips I've ever made that night working there incredible congratulations by by 50% more than my best night before and what do you attribute that to was there I've seen on TikTok some girls will talk about like some girls in the service industry will be like oh yeah I put my hair in pigtails when I want more tips did you notice anything that you did differently Oh, it was 100% because I got drunk with the clients. That's what happened is that um, I was drinking with everybody else at the bottle. So when you're a bottle service girl, everyone's like, let's take a shot, right? And you're usually like, okay, cool. And you pour the shots and you'll pour your yourself one that's like barely any or like mainly chaser or whatever. Or you'll just dip out and be like, yeah, shots for everyone and hand them out and then disappear or whatever. Because you you can't drink with every single table. You'll be drunk and you're not supposed to. Um, But this particular night, 
it was I was just like vibing and I was in a good mood I just got hair extensions put in and I was feeling myself so I decided to drink with every table and then there was a group of young men our bar has a 25 and up limit the bouncer won't let you in if you're not 25 or up so they card you to see if you're 25 oh, and up. that's kind of cool yeah it's cool because it keeps it keeps it it's like for like a an older more mature crowd right because we don't want the kind of behavior that I'm going to tell you about right now so these young individuals bribed you know what i'm not going to say what they did or didn't do because uh, i don't want to get anyone in trouble why don't you just say what you're about to say is completely fictitious and it didn't really happen but tell me but you're going to tell it to me anyway wait okay yeah this is all made up and none of it's true it's just a great story but it takes place at the place that i work at with all the people that i work with now Someone bribed our bouncer with a $100 bill to allow them into our establishment. They were 22, I believe. That could have been a lie. Not sure. Um, They came in acting super, super rowdy and were just being pretty obnoxious. So we put them at a table that was very far away from our tables of patrons whom are regulars. And kind of were like not expecting them to do anything because they're young. You know, they're going to get like the bottle minimum or whatever and then like enjoy it. So we bring out their bottle minimum, two bottles, with a big sign that says, you know, um, he wanted us to put the name of his company on there. I don't know if his, like, it was just, like, says, like, a company name. It's his last name, company, okay? And we were like, okay, okay this is whatever, 22-year-old behavior. I'm not going to try to understand it. So bring it out. And they're, like, making a bunch of Snapchats, like, social media, like, trying to be like, yeah, you know, like, our company is, like, paying for this. I don't know what the fuck they were doing. I'm not going to try to comprehend. So then, literally just finished bringing them out a bottle. And they go, they get our attention again. And they're like, hey, we want another bottle. And then we're like, we just brought your bottle. And they're like, well, you spelled the, you spelled the name of the company wrong on the sign. And we need you to redo it. And we're like, okay, um, we can just, you know, redo the sign. They're like, no, no, no. And the guy gets like really close to my friend. He's totally, he's totally into her, the other bottle service girl. Gets really close to her and he's like, no, no, no. I want you to pick out what bottle you want to bring me. He's like, what's your best bottle? And she's like, well, it'll be 1942 is $600 a bottle. So you want one of those? And he's like, whatever you want to bring me. And she's like, okay. So we go to the back to like be like, hey, should we really do this? Like, does this guy really understand what he's doing? He's like 22 right. years old. You know, like, yeah, is like, he going to be able to actually afford from? this? Yeah. One of the coworkers that we work with is just like, they asked us, what do we want to drink? I want to drink 1942. Fuck them. And she just grabs one of the bottles, takes some sparklers and go out. And we're like, oh, okay, shit. So we follow her out there with the sign. Come out and do our whole thing again. Everyone's like taking pictures of them because they're balling out. And then as we're about to leave, he goes, no, no, no. I want another bottle of 1942. And we're like, are you serious? He's already at this point spent, he's already spent like $1,000 so far. And it's like five dudes or something. So I'm like... Is he just dumb or like maybe he actually does like maybe he's good for it, whatever. You know, we told him it was six hundred. My coworker's like, you know, right. this is a six hundred dollar bottle. And he's like, It's fine. He's like, We're from New York. Like we go out in New York all the time. Like this is nothing. And I'm like, Okay, fine. So we go back, <laughs> get another six hundred dollar bottle, bring it out to him, all the sparklers, everything, whatever. 
And at this point, we're just kind of like, fuck it. Like, we're going to hang out at this table more and see, like, if they'll order more shit from us. Because we make, like, a percentage of all the bottles that we sell. So it's like, you kind of want to hang out at the place where you think they might right. be more money for you. Right? I'm like, what do you guys, you know, do for a living? And they're like, well, we're in the army. And I'm like, are you really? And they're like, yeah, oh. we're in the army. And they, like, pull out their phone. And they're showing me all these pictures of them standing in front of tanks and stuff. And I'm like, this is fucking cool. But I'm also like, who the fuck is protecting our country right now? Like, you know, like, what are you guys doing here? But I'm also like, maybe I'm going to, you know, maybe they're going to get another bottle. I don't know. I don't know. So this guy's like totally chatting at my friend. Then the lights come on. So it's the time to go home or whatever. And we go out and we get the bill and bring it back to them. And this is a this is a pretty hefty bill now. We're looking at a, like a $2,000 bill at this moment. And we bring it out. And he um, is standing there in front of me and uh, my coworker, and he's like, how much do you think I should tip you guys? Like on top of the gratuity that's already included. And my coworker is like being kind of nice. And she's like, oh, I don't know, you know, like 800 would be like a nice tip for us, which is, which is a great tip. Like that would be. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, that would be like above and beyond. She's being really nice. Well, but I'm like a little tipsy. So I'm like, well, fuck it. Like this guy is like, you know, endless checks, whatever. And so I'm like, no, I think we need a thousand dollars each. Like, I think we should get like a stack each. And he was like, you guys smelt the name of the company wrong. (laughs) And I was like, I was like, yeah, we do that often. So that's just part of the job, you know? And I'm like, it's not New York prices. And he's like, okay, okay, cool. So he tips us $1,000 each. And then he closes what? He closes the booklet and he goes to my coworker, I really want to meet you for brunch tomorrow. And she has a boyfriend, but he doesn't know that. And she's not going to say that. And she's like, no, you know, I'm busy. I don't really like tomorrow's and like just kind of like dragging her feet because she just wants to take the fucking book that he already signed and gave her a thousand dollar tip and run away, you know, and like him go away and leave. Right. So she's being kind of nice or whatever. And she's like, oh, no, I I can't do that. And then he pulls out his wallet and he gives her a platinum Amex card. And he goes, here, I'm going to give this to you tonight buy whatever you want with it and return it tomorrow when you see me at brunch and she goes no i can't do that and i'm like bitch you better fucking get that card right now like what the fuck's going on here i don't know what's going on but you better get that card but get that fucking card and don't think about it i'll return it tomorrow let's go like i got bills to pay let's do it right and she just starts laughing and like walks walks back to the end of the office and he looks at me and he's like if you can get her to go to brunch with me tomorrow I'll buy this whole bar and I'm like okay I don't give a fuck I just want that card right now like do what you just did to her to me now right yeah yeah. (laughs) and then he pulls out a gold Amex card and he gives that to me along with the platinum card and says, go back there, get her to come to brunch tomorrow. You can buy whatever you want on my card and give her that card to buy whatever she wants. And I'm like, bye, get the fuck out of here. I grab both of those cards. I run to the back and I'm like, I don't give, like, like, this is my dream. I fucking manifested this. Like a few days ago, I was riding my horse and I saw a bunch of turkeys, like gobble, gobble Thanksgiving turkeys with all the feathers and all that shit. And I was like, this means something. Looked it up. It means abundance. And here we are. Now here's what happened, right? So I go into the back 
immediately get out my phone, go to this uh, designer horse website and buy this bridle that I've wanted for a really, really long time. And I'm like, this is amazing. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Buddha. Thank you, turkeys that I saw, whoever the fuck did this. It doesn't matter. I'm happy, right? But then everybody's kind of like looking at me and they're like acting weird around me. And I'm like, you know, why is everyone being weird towards me? And they're like, well, you really shouldn't do that. And I was like, he literally like told me to do this to buy this and they're like well it could be like legal trouble for the bar and I'm like how it's like through me it's not through the bar he just it's on a videotape of him signing the receipt and then giving us these cards so like what like what's going on here and everyone all like everyone's kind of thinking about it and feeling guilty about it and they're like well they've been drinking so it's like taking advantage and I'm like you guys are really raining on my parade right now you know I just got this really cool bridal and I'm feeling great and I don't need this negativity in my life. So then I go home, sleep on it. In the morning, I wake up and I tell Cody about it. And he's like, I tell my fiance about it. And he's like, oh, no, no, no. He's like, don't do that. And I'm like, why? And he's like, because they were young. What if he was like blackout drunk and he really can't afford it? And he wakes up and he realizes he spent like his whole paycheck on trying to impress these girls and da, da, da. And I was like, oh. God, I really don't want that to be the case. I want it to just be like rich, spoiled kids who like have too much money, you know? Right. But then I started feeling bad about it. And so then I called this the saddle company and I like canceled the bridal, which I was sad about. And then I texted the, then I texted the guy and I was like, hey, you know, I can't get her to come to brunch. I'm sorry. And if you see a pending charge on your card, like like massive eye roll like it's don't worry about it like it's gonna go back because I canceled it I didn't want to take advantage of you if you were like blackout drunk and he was like I wasn't blackout drunk and he goes oh I forgot the best part is that he kept saying all night I kept being like are you sure are you sure and he kept going I'm true to this not new to this and so he what handed me the card. Yeah, exactly. Like, exactly. Right? And so then I have to go meet him to give him his card back, you know? Right. And I put my engagement ring on. I don't wear it when I'm working, obviously, because, like, I want tips. And he, like, I, he rolls up and I roll up to the same parking lot. And I'm like, hey, here's your card. And he, like, looks at my hand and I'm like, yeah, surprise, I'm engaged. And he was like, yeah, me too. And I was like, are you fucking serious? And he's like, yeah. You guys can't see my face right now, but I just did a full-on jaw drop moment. I did not foresee... Wait, but I guess you did say he was in the military. I feel like 22-year-old military men are notorious for being married and or engaged. What the... Like, but what the fuck, though? Like, so what the fuck? Was like, dude, what are you thinking? You are spending all this money to impress girls that you don't even fucking know when you have a fiance like is she your sugar mama like what's going on here you know like oh, I, that's like, I need a, to wow know. that would be a plot twist i need to know the play-by-play but there was no play-by-play he was just like oh yeah i got trapped into it like what and i was like what do you mean you got trapped into it you fell down onto your knee you fell on top of a <laughs> ring and you fell and and she put her arm out in the most perfect way and that ring just somehow found its way on her finger and you somehow uh as you were throwing up it was like you married me and then now all of a sudden you have professional engagement photos that was also just like a fluke like what what's happened here right so anyways did he ever tell you how he got quote-unquote trapped he's like well we've been dating for like three years and she said you know she said that like we needed to get married or she was gonna moved on and I was like that doesn't sound like a trap that sounds like 
uh, a very That's the opposite of a trap. That, yeah, that was like a way out. That's literally right. the opposite of a trap. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know oh, what, man. what happened, but it was very strange. It really was. Um, but it would have been so much better if I didn't listen to anyone and I was just like, no, fuck you guys. I'm getting this bridal because right now I would have that bridal. I mean, look, when you were talking, when you were telling the story, the only thing I was thinking was like, what if this is a trap and he's going to like try to put you in jail because he's going to be like oh the bottle service girl stole my credit card mm-hmm. and chart and like bought some gifts for it. that was what is this guy's angle like what's he mm-hmm. up to here what's his end of the scheme because in my most drunken state i have never pulled out my credit card and been like hey man i think you're real pretty will you please sir buy yourself something nice on the card <laughs> You know what? The thing is, is that they sent me to jail, been there, done that. So that was the story about how I almost had a $750 CWD bridal. Oh, the, oh this is the best part also, because I had to know. I asked the guy, I was like, why did you, why, why did you spend all this money on this, these, to impress this girl? Like, why did you want her to have your, have your Amex and like not anybody else, not like your fiance? And he was just like, you know, that's the million dollar question. I, I just have this problem. Like, I just get really drunk and I want to pretend like, I don't know, I don't have a fiance. And I was like, at least okay. lie to me. Like, at least lie and come up with something better than that. Because this is making me want to run you over in my car. Yeah, I was about to say, okay, new Patreon video idea. You finding this guy's social media, finding his fiance and do a vlog where like she goes and breaks up with him and then we'll really see who was trapped, bitch. He's going to be crying. Well, here's the other dilemma I have now is I know his social media because when he told me I was engaged, I was a curious kitten and I knew his first and last name because I had been staring at that card and I had put it in to buy this, this bridal. So I had his information and I just a quick Google search of his first and last name comes his he had an instagram that was not private and it comes up all of these pictures professional photos of like the (gasps) girls wearing like a cute white sundress like he's out walking around with her they're getting married in july and i was like oh i was like oh my god like i do i have to tell this girl but i was like nothing technically happened like maybe it was just a mistake am i gonna ruin her whole wedding is it this is this responsibility fall on me to find this girl and be like hey I don't want to like mess up your life, but I'm going to, um, yeah. you know, like here are like your guy was out last night acting a fool, pretending like he didn't have a fiance and then gave his Amex car. You know what I mean? Like, do I do that yeah. or do I just, do I not get involved in their storyline? Like I, I don't want that negative energy on me. Like, ew. You know what, guys? Uh, head over to the Patreon, patreon.com forward slash let's get haunted. We'll have a poll up uh, right now that says <laughs> vote on whether or not Natalia should tell this man's fiance. And she may or may not follow whatever. It was, it was so wins bad. Like I, I looked underneath their engagement photos and it was like their grandparents and parents were commenting on it and they were like so excited to go to the wedding like oh like she's so your bride is gonna be so beautiful in july and did it and like maybe she like doesn't care about their wedding stuff like that (laughs) you show does anyone have a reason why these two should not be wedded you're like i do and you show up holding the bridal above your head (laughs) i yeah i mean it is tough i feel like um I don't know the right answer because on one hand, 
I feel maybe she doesn't care about the money aspect because here's my thing. Like if you're getting married, ideally you would have some sort of like merged income or at least be sharing financial information. So I'm like, why? Like, how would he have explained that? Like, oh, what's this charge to goldenbridlesunited.com? Like, what's this charge to like louboutin.com? You know what I mean? Like, how how would he explain that away? So I'm wondering, maybe she just doesn't care. Maybe she's Mm -hmm. also in it for a scheme. Maybe she's like, dude, this guy's dad is so rich. He's like, uh, he got in early with Microsoft and now like nobody 10 generations down the line needs to work ever again. And maybe she doesn't care. I don't know. Maybe she's, maybe if I told her she'll block me and she's going to, and she'll like be like, if you fucking ever try to say this shit to me again, I'll ruin your entire life life you better fucking delete all the pictures delete all the screenshots honestly that would not surprise me i do remember one time um in the this would have been like 2017 or 18 um somebody on twitter had like sent me a dick pic and then was like kind of like just like commenting on everything and commenting on all my social media and like adding me and like but also being like really mean like being like you're you fucking suck you dumb bitch i I just saw you in that sugar pine seven video and you're fucking stupid here's a picture of my dick and i and this guy was like (laughs) not even hiding his identity picture of my dick i found his mom on facebook because i was like you know what this dude like i would block him he'd make a new account and he'd be like, surprise, mm. bitch, it's me again. Here's another picture of my dick, you dumb slut. Like, <laughs> and then, <laughs> so I, I like sent, I collected all the receipts. I sent them to his mom on Facebook. And exactly what we're hypothesizing right now about your situation happened to me where the mom was like, it's your fault. Like, oh. you're, you are dumb and stupid. And, and, you know, he's only you 19. You are a dumb slut. Look yeah, at you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, he's only 19. He's got his whole life ahead of him. How dare you try to get him in trouble with me? Like, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, the only thing I oh said to her was Lord. like, hey, lady, this, like, your son will not leave me alone. And it's like concerning because I'll block him and he makes a new account. And I like, I can see he lives at home. Because, and so, like, mm-hmm. here, this is, like, what he's doing. Can you, like, have a conversation with him? Because he's a child and, like, this needs to fucking stop. Yeah. And then she, yeah, turned it around on me and was like, you are the problem. So, yeah, sometimes you think you're doing the right thing by letting someone's family member, boyfriend, girlfriend know what's going on. And then it just blows up in your face. I'm just, yeah, I'm just going to hope that, I don't know. I'm just going to hope that I never see that person again and this timeline just stops right just just press pause reset go watch fergie yodeling and scatting into her microphone erase your mind (laughs) and just remember that this is all fictitious and none of it happened and so therefore no one can be mad look i was just chiming in with haven't you people ever heard of closing the goddamn door okay that's right that situation the poor uh bride's groom is a whore (laughs) look at that turn of events um, and before I forget, uh, our our like last little housekeeping thing today that I wanted to mention is if you haven't heard yet, we are up for a Shorty Award. In the mm. year 2021, the year of our Lord and Savior Mothman 2021, we won a Shorty Award. We won the audience honor for best podcast. We beat out Shannon Sharp, Fox Sports. We beat out everybody except for the dictionary. The dictionary mm. took home the big um, <laughs> like judge 
elected award. But now we are up for the comedy category in the Shorty Awards because they're doing it a little bit differently this year. And we're up against some really, really big names. Um, Some people who just started podcasts this year because like they're big on TikTok and a network picked them up. So while I'm happy for them, I'm also like, why can't this be me? Um, (laughs) (laughs) That would be such a major slay for us. Um, Alyssa and I famously have not been able to garner any sort of representation (laughs) for our podcast, despite the fact that I think we're fucking killing it. We Uh, are. It's so confusing. On our like pitch sheet, it just says all of the awards we've won along with like our data, like how many streams we've had, stuff about you, our listeners, stuff about our sponsors that we've gotten, stuff about Ali and I. Um, and it would be really cool if we can keep that list uh, going. So it's not just yeah. like we won some awards two years ago, you know. Uh, people are gonna be like oh seems like you guys are not doing so much so that's a great point because if we don't win this then I'm gonna have to just eliminate that slide from our pitch deck because yeah it would look really sad if it was like hey guys three years ago we won an award pick us up network and you can help us out by expanding those show notes and I will have a link there to the Shorty Awards voting. It is open to fan voting. Each person is allowed to vote once a day every day until voting closes Mm -hmm. and voting closes on April 26th, 2023. So if you are listening to this Mm -hmm. and it is not past that date yet, you are legally obligated or else you go to jail to vote for us once a day. If you miss... (laughs) If you miss one day, you go to jail for however many days you miss voting for us. Straight to jail. We would also love to give a big shout out to our patrons who are the donors for this episode. We recently just hit... 400 patrons on patreon if you would like to join the family of dope awesome haunties that are currently subscribed to our patreon you can go to patreon.com forward slash let's get haunted i am going to shout out as many people as i can right now since we do have 400 people what we've been doing is dividing up the patrons between four episodes since we have four episodes in a month so i'm going to shout out as many patrons as i can right now we would love to give a special thank you to Nikita B, Kelsey K, Ed B, Chad P, Maya, Ava Z, Paulina, Laughing Bane, Caitlin S, Gay Nosebleeds, Kendra G, Archie F, Mary Elizabeth A, Meg R, James E, Adriana B, Adriana B, Abby T, Alexis S, Amelia, Spooky Scary Tina, Ellie J, Billy R, Erica V, Nicole Z, William A, Minnie W, John T, Emily, Danny T, Metal Pineapple, Bandit Nicole H, Maris G, Valeria V, Hector L, DiGiorno Flacco, Zach E, Ghost of 7-Eleven, Kyle Q, Amanda, Kat, Jazz and Cryptids, Valerie E, Parker L, Chucha Bajoa, Crystal D, Hannah M, Aquarius King, Sierra B, Talia D, Jacob, Predlights, Mike K, Julie C, Shara, Shara, Jordan B, Sawu, Tate T, Hunt S, Clara K, Clara K, 
Sherry B, Penny C, Kylie, Nikki, Nicole without the H, Eunice A. Happy birthday to Eunice. By the way, big shout out to Eunice. It is her birthday today. Laura Z, Alexandra H, Sylvie M, Ryson W, Kelsey C, Micah B, Nadav L, Kathleen, Cassidy M, Tresca E, Nicole H, Nikki P, Kelsey S, Alan F, Al H, Lauren H, Emily A, Bradley M, Brett B, Levi, Jordan, Michael H, Alex S, Cheyenne E S, Kyle P, Emily J, Ashley J, Nick C, Sal Story, Uber A, Macy F, Caitlin E, Yas A, Sad Girl Shell, Sydney B, Angsty, Sarah K, Carly, Tyson V, Beatrice, Jim H, Kate M, Zane J, Matthew L, Lisa ML, Laura Bakes, Andy, Caitlin D, 1017, Leah E, Angela N, Kathy G, Kristen C, Jacqueline N, Sarah M, Tay's Exotic Critters, and all of her cute little frogs, Lauren G, Taylor, Emily H, Emmy B, British Cyborg, Jordan F, Christy H, Janani S, Roxanne S, Brianne M, Sarah D, Sage, Monica R, Jen M, Sean, Kimberly, Caitlin D, Matt M, Alexandra, Mordo Music, Haley G, Kelsey K, Andrea C, JB, Michael B, Sarah W, Mecha K or Mecca K, Mr. Satan, Katie T, Mercedes M, Olivia M, Jess P, Abby E, Marissa K, Gigi, Sam P, Anya, Haley C, Frank D, A Bennett, Lilith Morningstar, Ann P, Maja L, Emily C, Slug Bunny, Max M, Mars Y, Casey C, Oscar M, Alyssa D, Ashley M, Rebecca, Mason G, Lena or Lena, Sonia, Kevin T, Nadine, Amanda P, Rivier, Omar C, Alex P, LC Fitz, Molly P, Monica H, Richard N S, Tiffany S, Brittany F, Deanna P, Cassie O, Valeria R, Wayne C, Matt T, Grim L, Jonna H, Chrissy D, Tori B, Jessica S, Cynthia D, Interix, Cat B, Vicky T, Wesley B, Mario A, Kristen K, Camille, Alicia, Allison S, Pascal S, Hannah T, Malik, Roxanne B, Cassidy D, Jody G, Amber O, famous Amber O, Carrie C, Brooklyn W, Nikki S, Robin Nicole B, Lily C, Freddie F, Lauren B, Olivia, Anthony R, Abby S, Cassie L, Giovanni P, McKenna P, Tabby J, Holly or Haley L, Alaya Ayala, Jordan D, Lindsay L, Dan M, Rachel V, Ed W, Rebecca B, Katie S, Kelsey A, Melissa G, Kartika E, Angelo E, Emily B, Kat L, Doralee N, Joshua K, Hunter S, Alessa M, V, Ember B, Ginny C, Sage Bay, Christopher O, Sierra, Ariel M, or Ariel M, Chase, Mark, Delilah F, Erica M, Chelsea, Brooke W, Brie Bingo H, Sophie H, 
Riley, Jordan B, Tara Lee, Dana C or Dana C, Sarah L, Karina C, Thaddeus G, Sydney S, Alyssa S, The Jakester or Ta Jakester, Steven and Uzma A. Woo 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 woo. And there are so many of you guys whose names I recognize interacting with us over the years and we are just so so grateful to even have you aboard this haunted fucking shit show we love you guys so so much we are working on posting as much content as possible to the patreon if you guys have been debating on whether or not you want to join the patreon natalia has some really awesome horse vlogs up there like we said and i also posted a sims 4 speed build and some sped up uh, speed run compilations of me doing some crafting in our studio. So I think it's worth, but don't ask me about it. Get in there, join the Patreon, see for yourselves. We hope you love it because we love you. And I'm not just saying that this is actually like a very unhealthy relationship that Natalia and I talk about all the time where sometimes when we're depressed, the only thing that keeps us going is the haunties. Um, sorry to put that on you. Maybe that's bad. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. Scratch that. Pretend I didn't say that. This is all fictitious. Everything's a lie. We love you and are just so fucking grateful every single day for your support. Well, Natalia, are you ready to buckle the fuck up after I feel like you told a story that I was not buckled up for and then the proverbial car crashed and hit a wall and I flew out of the window and now I'm like trying to pick up the pieces of my life um, after hearing that story and get into this new story that's a different kind of haunted. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's switch haunted gears. Part one. Dupkata. Deep in the Bulgarian wilderness, tucked away near the tiny village of Serechina, a mystery over three decades in the making hmm. festers, abandoned, in a long-forgotten man-made hole. Ew. This deep depression, which has since been filled in with concrete and fenced off to the public by the Bulgarian government, lies off to the side of an unnamed dirt road, now marked by a plain stone with just one word stamped onto its gritty exterior, dupkata, which translates to simply the hole. On December 6, 1990, the Bulgarian military first broke ground at the forested tract of land using large excavators and heavy military-grade equipment. But before doing so, they hastily erected a towering, camouflaged fence line surrounding the perimeter of the hole for privacy. When curious villagers inquired of the soldiers as to what they were doing in the small sleepy town, they were met with silence and stonewalling. Some soldiers even reportedly advised the villagers to leave town and never look back. At the entrance to the village, the name of the town was ripped off its hinges, replaced instead with a sign that read simply, Secret Project B-1. Today, the true nature of this ambitious endeavor is debated as much amongst locals as it is amongst the curious tourists who choose to bike to the stone marker for pictures each year. 
In today's episode, we will unpack the facts and the rumors that have plagued this event for over 32 years in the hopes that we, the Haunties, may uncover the truth behind this complicated legend full of twists and turns. Listeners may be interested to know that today's episode has a little bit of almost anything a Hauntie could ever ask for, including a hunt for cursed royal treasure, a government cover-up of epic proportions, psychological warfare, mysterious ancient technology, death, mayhem, unexplained aerial phenomena, ghosts and spirits, psychics with ulterior motives communing with the dead, and an ancient sleeping entity buried deep within the earth, suspended somewhere between life and death. Today, I bring you the haunted tale known as Operation Sunray and Bulgaria's Saracina Hole. I know, you just really caught me off with that description of festering. Like, somewhere festering, a man-made hole. That's why I was like, ew. (laughs) Part 2. Bulgaria. Some listeners may remember that in episode 33 of Let's Get Haunted, we discussed the mysterious disappearance of a German man named Lars Matonk. Matonk vanished from a Bulgarian airport in 2014, never to be seen again. And if you want to learn more about that fascinating and tragic mystery, you'll just have to go back and listen to episode 33 because there's really no time to explain. But in that episode, we learned quite a bit about the modern state of Bulgaria and its government in the 21st century. In today's story, however, we must travel back in time to gain some context into how the Sarichina Hole came to be dug. Now, Bulgaria has a super interesting history that would probably be best suited for a history podcast rather than a paranormal one, so for this episode, I will only be hitting the major notes of this country's vast timeline. And when I say vast, I mean vast. Around 5000 BC, a sophisticated civilization already exists in the region, which produced some of the first pottery, jewelry, and golden artifacts of the world. After 3000 BC, a group of people known as the Thracians appeared on the Balkan Peninsula. The Thracians are another super fascinating group that also deserve their own episode, and we'll talk a little bit more about them later. But basically, they were just interesting as fuck. The Thracians are actually mentioned in the epic poem The Iliad by Homer, which is kind of a cool fun fact, and just goes to show their general influence around the world at the time was pretty vast. They were really good at metalworking and horsemanship and are largely remembered for being excellent in warfare. Their enemies used words like barbaric and fearsome to describe them, but modern historians feel that this is an oversimplification of their culture, and note that Thracian culture also valued soft skills like poetry writing, tattooing, and music making. The Thracians were also particularly interesting for the relics they left behind in central Bulgaria in the form of funeral mounds. The Thracians believed that their kings were the sons of the earth. According to museum curator Maglena Parvin, quote, When he finishes his journey in this world, the king must return to the lap or the womb of his mother. This is the reason why we think they built these artificial mounds around their funeral structures. Many of these tombs have been excavated and preserved in modern-day Bulgaria, but other funeral mounds have likely yet to be discovered. 
Moving forward in history from the Thracians come the Romans, the Macedonians, the Greeks, and the Celts, all of whom would war with the Thracians over the centuries until 500 AD when the Slavs assimilated nearly all people who remained in this region. In the year 632, the Bulgars formed an independent state north of the Black Sea that became known as Great Bulgaria, but eventually the state dissolved in the second half of the 7th century. Some of the Bulgars then moved on to conquer part of the Byzantine Empire, and a series of ensuing wars eventually resulted in a peace treaty with Byzantium in the year 681. The establishment of a permanent Bulgarian capital at Pliska, south of the Danube, marked the beginning of the First Bulgarian Empire. According to Wikipedia, quote, the new state brought together Thracian remnants and Slavs under Bulgar rule and a slow process of mutual assimilation began. In the following centuries, Bulgaria established itself as a powerful empire, dominating the Balkans through its aggressive military traditions, which led to development of a distinct ethnic identity. Its ethnically and culturally diverse people united under a common religion, a common language, and one alphabet which formed and preserved the Bulgarian national consciousness despite foreign invasions and influences. What happened in the next few centuries was a series of even more wars, with the Byzantines and later the Turks during the Ottoman Empire. Jumping ahead to the 20th century, Bulgaria found itself teamed up with Germany during World War I, then later fighting against and winning a war known as the Battle of the Stray Dog against Greece in the 1920s. In 1939, Bulgaria declared war on Britain, Yugoslavia, Greece, and the United States. Bulgaria left the war after the Soviet Union declared war on them, and in the 1940s, Bulgaria and the Soviet Union finally signed a peace treaty, and Bulgaria agreed to convert to communism. After World War II, Bulgaria became a communist state, with leader Todor Zivkov serving as general secretary of the Bulgarian Communist Party for a period of 35 years, sparking rapid economic development, increased life expectancies, and a heavier focus on industry. Bulgaria's economic advancement during this era came to an end in the 1980s, but we'll talk more about that time period a little bit later. For now, I'd like to show you a quick tourism video that I found on Bulgaria from the 1960s that I'd like you to describe to our listeners, Natalia. And anyone who wants to watch a clip from this video can do so either by clicking the link in the show notes or by going to at Let's Get Haunted on Instagram and scrolling through this episode's photo dump. It says Bulgaria 1965 Rare British Tourist Video by Foreigner BG Best Info for Expats in Bulgaria. <laughs> Where are we? Somewhere near the sunny coast of the Mediterranean, certainly. Or is this an Italian opera out in the open air? It's roses, roses all the way. This, wherever it is, is a land of happiness. A land of simple happiness because... Look, there's a crown of flowers for the village beauty who will be Rose Queen. They're crowning a queen here in this little village. Here's where they gather roses, and there are 15 billion rose trees in this valley to make a rose perfume famous throughout the world. Don't let us spoil the romance of it with statistics, but for every gram of this attar of rose perfume distilled and captured, 27,000 roses must be plucked. 
in the early morning before the bold sun this is so whimsical that I'm ready to change my whole life. Right? Isn't it cute? This. Yeah. It's very cottagecore. There's no other rosy valley like this it's in the whole It's the most cottagecore thing I've ever seen in my life. In Do you want to describe it to our listeners? Okay, I'm going to describe this this thing that I've changed my life to now. <laughs> um, okay, so the video opens up with like folk music of some sort of instrument that I'm not too familiar with, but if we put it in here, I'm sure you guys, one of you guys knows what it is. And there's a bunch of girls dancing around like in traditional dresses, I guess. And they're doing like some traditional folk dance. And then someone comes out with like a flower crown made of roses and puts it on one of them. And they're going to crown like the beauty queen of their village. And the village is like very cottage core like cobblestone streets ancient looking and then they go out into a field and all of these girls are dressed in these beautiful folk outfits and they're picking all of these roses and the person narrating the film is saying that every single day they have to pick like 20 to 7,000 roses or something like that to make an ounce of rose perfume that this area is really famous for and so then while you're thinking about that some guy comes and takes like a basket full of roses and I and and takes this huge basket full and then just goes into this like it looks like a distillery mm -hmm. like where you would distill whiskey or something like that but instead of pouring in alcohol or grain or whatever whiskey is made from they um, pour in these roses and then the rose like rose oil comes out and someone puts it into a bucket and it goes um, they hook it onto uh, another like string or something and then a monk who literally looks like a gnome over a wishing well is like uh, turning this giant wheel and then up on the string where the bucket that holds water in a wishing well would be comes the rose oil up and I just had to stop and, and make a comment on how I'm switching my life to this aesthetic yeah. um, because I saw gnomes I saw fairy people I saw tons of roses and it was also like steampunk at the same time um, super adorable should I keep watching it I don't know I think you get the idea so that is a video oh, I'm really of, sad because I, I know it's it's great but there's oh now. man I got so much to tell you though but I'm going to link to this tourism video from the 1960s in the show notes if anyone would like to go watch it for themselves. And mm -hmm. I will likely include a clip of it in the photo dump for this episode at Let's Get Haunted on Instagram. Part 3. The Excavation of the Saracina Hole As I said in the intro, the Bulgarian Ministry of Defense first embarked on the excavation of the Saracina Hole on December 6, 1990. Leading up to this point, Bulgaria was in the process of emerging from the Cold War. According to history books, the Cold War would formally come to a close the day after Christmas on December 26, 1991. But since this was a global war, the end, quote-unquote, came about in more of a gradual wave, hitting different countries at slightly different times. In the case of Bulgaria, this wave began to hit the country in 1989, shortly after the fall of the Berlin Wall in Germany, and the subsequent ousting of Bulgaria's conservative communist leader, Todor Zivkov, who by that point had been in power for 35 years. As all haunties should know by now, the Cold War represented an intense period of tension and conflict between the United States and its allies, known as the Western Bloc, and the USSR and its allies, known as the Eastern Bloc. 
rather than this conflict manifesting itself as direct warfare between the Americans and the Soviets, the Cold War was so named because it was largely characterized by a series of sneaky behind-the-scenes maneuvers. And, as one might imagine when picturing a war carried out in secret, the Cold War is largely remembered now for its propaganda, race to outer space at any cost, widespread espionage, government-funded assassinations, meteoric rise in military funding, nuclear stockpiling, and proxy wars. So, beginning in late 1989, a regime change was occurring in Bulgaria. The old leaders were ousted, and the conservative communist government was replaced with a more liberal one. However, many Bulgarians wanted more from the people in power, and in 1990, a multi-party democratic election was held. According to Wikipedia, quote, eventually, it was decided that a roundtable, based on the Polish model, would be held in 1990, and elections were held by June of the same year. The roundtable took place from January 3rd to May 14th, at which time an agreement was reached on the transition to democracy. The Communist Party abandoned Marxism-Leninism on April 3rd, 1990, and renamed itself as the Bulgarian Socialist Party. In June 1990, the first free elections since 1931 were held, won by the Bulgarian Socialist Party. Now, while this all may sound like a smooth, happy victory, a changing of the guards for the people of Bulgaria, the reality is actually much darker. Out of all the countries in the Eastern Bloc to undergo revolutions and regime changes during this time, many historians believe Bulgaria to have had one of the most painful and difficult transitions of them all. In a publication for the University of Richmond School of Economics entitled Economic Crisis and Reform in Bulgaria, 1989-1992, by authors Jonathan White and Louise Fox, the country's severe financial crisis is explained as follows. Quote, the 1989 collapse was partially a reflection of the external political upheavals among Bulgaria's trading partners in Eastern Europe, which were rejecting socialist principles. But it was also a reflection of the weaknesses embedded in the economy after 30 years of central planning. Political instability within Bulgaria, market reforms, and attempts at privatization contributed further to economic uncertainty, resulting in a continued output decline. The almost 30% fall in real gross domestic product, or GDP, over the period of 1989 to 1992 left approximately one-half million workers unemployed and many more underemployed in this country of approximately only 9 million people. End quote. To put it simply, times were tough, not just for the common folk, but also for the new government and its desperate officials whose livelihoods fully depended on the success of this new government. This moment in history was so difficult and so traumatizing to live through that a poll conducted as recently as 2009 found that only 11% of present-day Bulgarians believe the transition resulted in a net positive for the common man. Not to sound super dumb, I'm just going to be transparent because maybe it'll help someone. I just, like, had never known what GDP stood for. I knew it, like, meant something about the economy, but I, like, never really knew what it meant. They would just be like, oh, the GDP is this, and then this is this, and I'm just like, okay, you know, I got the context clues, and now I know it means gross domestic product. This changes everything. Yeah, wow. let's, you know what, let's very quickly <laughs> go on a little tangent, um, and, because, you know, we're an educational Yay. podcast, right? 
So GDP <laughs> measures the monetary value of final goods and services, that is, those that are bought by the final user, produced in a country in a given period of time. Which is interesting. Right. It's like if every country was a store, how much is the store making? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Straight up. Okay, so their GDP is in the fucking shitter, right? Like, everyone's panicking. Their store is failing. Right, it's like when SpongeBob's brain is on fire and everyone's running around and, like, throwing papers in the air and nobody knows what to do. So there's a fire going on in this economy in Bulgaria and the newly elected politicians, because remember this, um, this story takes place in December of 1990 and the elections just happened in June of 1990. So it's very, very soon. And these new politicians are like, fuck, we got to find a way to generate revenue, bolster the new economy and like prove that we deserve to be in these positions. Desperate for a way to generate revenue and bolster the new economy in the late 80s, key politicians and leaders held closed door meetings, brainstorming ideas. While precise details on what exactly happened in these meetings are rather murky, somewhere along the way, a story was relayed. This story offered a potential solution to the country's troubles, something that might just end the financial crisis and rocket Bulgaria back into a place not just of stability, but of prosperity, a shining gem emerging from the rubble of the Cold War that would show the rest of the globe just what Bulgaria was capable of. But before we move on to what exactly these closed-door meetings resulted in, we're going to have to explore another very brief rabbit hole about Bulgarian treasure. Natalia, you are going to love this. In Bulgarian culture, treasure hunting is considered a national pastime. Why? How? Tell me everything. Because is it like natural treasure? Um, In the past, were there like a bunch of people who were really rich and they roamed through there and they had all these rubies in their pockets and then they fell out somewhere and it's like a cavernous ecosystem and people go caving now and they try to find these rubies? (laughs) Or is it just like natural treasures of the earth? Like there's geodes and shit. Or is it... Uh, the treasure you made in in trying to find treasure, the friendship was that. Yeah. The, um, <laughs> uh, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. The real treasure was the Bulgarians we met along the way. Um, yeah, yeah. You're kind of. I mean, all of those ideas are really good. I would say your first guess is closer to the truth, because in Bulgaria, not only are people encouraged to dig for treasure, but according to one source I read. Certain museums and government agency buildings will even pass out detailed maps on where people can go to look for it. Well, how do they know where it is? Just like their best guess. They'll be like, well, we think that there's treasure buried here. Like, this is where we think it is. Like, go out and fucking dig for it, bitch. But you, (laughs) I mean, that is very humorous, but I'm still, like, you still didn't tell me why there is treasure. Is there, like, a story of treasure getting, like, what treasure? They don't, they can't just... The Bulgarians, like, can't just be like, oh, yeah, the government told us there's treasure and, like, never asked questions. Like, so what's the answer? Oh, I'm so, so excited to tell you about this. So during my research into this, I stumbled upon a website called foreigner.bg, which is actually the exact same company that uploaded that 1960s tourism video that we watched earlier. This website, which features the tagline, Tips for Your Life in Bulgaria, the best info and advice for expats, is basically a crash course on moving to Bulgaria and has an entire section of their website dedicated to treasure hunting. In an article published to the site written by author Daniel Montilio, this national pastime is explained to people considering moving to the country. 
The article is entitled Bulgaria, a land of treasures. And while I'd love to just read the article word for word to you all, because honestly, that would be easier, English is very clearly not Montilio's first language. So for the sake of clarity, I will instead be reading a paraphrased or summarized version of this article instead. Montilio writes, the land that makes up the country of Bulgaria has been populated for more than 9,000 continuous years since the Neolithic era. As such, Bulgaria's terrain is full of archaeological objects from all time periods. All over the country, people discovered that if they dug down deep enough, for example, while out gardening or building something, they would inevitably hit old stores of pottery, ruins, and even historic valuables like jewels and gold coins. Bulgarian lands include a whole variety of ancient and medieval civilizations. From prehistory, Neolith, ancient Thrace, ancient Greece, the Roman Empire, the Byzantine Empire, the two Bulgarian empires, the Latin Empire of the Crusaders, and the Ottoman Empire, just to name a few. With so many battles taking place between large kingdoms and empires, it was common practice to place valuables into something called a strong box during turbulent times in history. Kings, emperors, czars, warriors, politicians, soldiers, and wealthy members of society all had strong boxes to protect their money and valuables. These boxes would then be hidden during times of strife with the hope that they could be dug up later during more peaceful times. However, as one might imagine, not everyone survived these times of conflict, and many strong boxes remained buried. The knowledge of their whereabouts simply lost to the passage of time and the extinction of family lineages. There are estimated to still be anywhere from hundreds to thousands of undiscovered treasure caches still buried around Bulgaria today. In fact, finding treasure has become so common that in modern times, the Bulgarian government passed a law specifying that any treasure caches containing coins must be reported to the authorities by treasure hunters. Absolutely not. No, we're <laughs> keeping those coins. Are they serious? Do they think we're that dumb? But isn't that also like kind of interesting? They're like, all right, if you find pottery or something, you can keep it. But like, if it's coins, give it. <laughs> like Right, like, shouldn't it be the opposite? Like, oh, artifacts, like, we need to know, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah it's so, uh, it made me laugh. Um, I'm sure there's some logic right. behind it. Just, like, reading it, though, just made, like, made me fucking laugh. So, no, they're <laughs> definitely just trying to get, like, they're just trying to get rich. And they're trying to get that coin by any means necessary, and we cannot blame them. Right. All over the country, individuals and families, Bulgarians and foreigners, all would set out to hunt for these riches. So-called, quote-unquote, professional treasure hunters would decide where to dig based on local legends that circulated throughout their communities for generations. But even people not specifically looking for treasure might accidentally stumble upon it while out plowing a field. By 1990 in Bulgaria, metal detectors were introduced on a mass scale, and according to archaeologist Vencislav Gurgov, That sounds like a blowjob, doesn't it? <laughs> Yeah, Slav Gurgov. Slav on my Gurgov. <laughs> <laughs> according to him, according to Mr. Gurgov, this technological advancement revolutionized treasure hunting by making finding treasure easier than ever. So let's talk about some of this treasure that's been discovered in the country over the years. 
On December 8, 1949, three brothers named Pavel, Petko, and Mikhail. Petko? I don't, like, are, is this a real story? Because <laughs> there's someone named Petko and, and slobber on my, oh. gir- on my gurgle. <laughs> you guys, in America, there's a pet store called Petko. So I cannot... It's where the pets go. It's very popular. It's like the Starbucks of pet shops. Just to prove to you that I'm not lying, I just sent you in the chat a picture of these three brothers. Wait, it's kind of pixelated, but I feel like they're hot. They have potential if they get unpixelated to be hot. Right? It's possible. I mean, they are holding treasure, which might be swaying your opinion. Yeah, they're holding Um, huge like trophies these look like okay you know in monty python when they find the holy grail it looks mm-hmm. like they all have those in their arms and they're all smiling and they all have great bone structure they all look like they've had buccal fat removal um <laughs> and slay i think i think that's just like starvation from <laughs> poverty but um, yeah but it, you know what that's how you know that these celebrities are are just so beyond rich because they're like i want that starved peasant look like <laughs> remove all semblance of me being healthy and like that's what i want for my life i want to look more relatable so let me tell you about these three guys pavel petko and mikhail They were digging for clay near a tile factory in the Bulgarian town of Panagurishte. Digging into the earth and pulling out clumps of wet clay to take home to make dishes with, one of the brothers cried out suddenly when his hand connected with something hard poking up into the clay layer. His hand was bleeding slightly from whatever he had just struck, and all three men soon went to work to see if they could pull out whatever he had struck his hand against deep in the ground. As the men worked to clear the water and earth away from the bottom of the hole they had dug, the sun suddenly reflected off of a shiny, yellow, glinting object buried in the ground. None of the brothers could have predicted that they would soon be holding not just one object, but an entire cache of ancient gold relics that would eventually be dated all the way back to the 4th century. Natalia, I'm going to send you a video of what this treasure looks like. And while you're looking at it, I'll read some more about it to our listeners. And to anyone listening who wants to see this gold treasure for themselves, you can head over to at Let's Get Haunted on Instagram to check out the photo dump. And then after I read this last little blurb that I have about the treasure, I would like you to describe it to everyone, Natalia. The government hasn't just like gotten a bunch of planes that can, I don't know, like ping some sort of... Uh, light wave technology or something to find like precious metals that are close to the surface you know I don't know like some sonar whatever and just find up where all this treasure is just like that and it, it like they haven't even tried I think it's like I think it's harder than than one might imagine because on one hand like all these people throughout modern history are finding treasures while they're just like plowing their field and like digging for clay or whatever but on the other hand there are still a lot of historic caches that are thought to be buried in bulgaria that have not been found so i think some are better hidden than others and the like more valuable ones i think are probably not even discovered yet but i am going to send you a video hold on send it full send Send. I want to so move to I'm Bulgaria going... now. Is it safe? 
No, it's not at all. Okay. Um, <laughs> but I also want to go there because this episode, like, like how really just... how dangerous is it? Like, you know, you get off the plane and evaporate, or like, oh no, no. Um, if you guys go back and listen to episode thirty-three, we talk about the modern state of Bulgaria, and obviously Bulgaria is a beautiful country. I'm sure you could visit there, live there just fine, and never like come into like trouble. Right. But I remember from that episode. There was some statistic that I can't remember right now where when you look at Bulgaria, like in terms of the like European countries and Slavic countries, it was like one of the worst in terms of like organized crime and assassinations and drug trafficking. And that's why a lot of people, spoiler alert, if you don't want to hear about this, skip ahead two minutes. But a lot of people think Lars Matank was was murdered because he was a drug mule. Oh, okay. Well, none of that will affect me. I'm just trying to find the treasure. Unless you're telling me that the mop cares about the treasure. I like find it hard to believe that someone who's um, an international smuggler would give a shit about a gold like coin somewhere. But maybe I should just skip this treasure thing and become an international smuggler. That's probably pretty dangerous. I, there you go. <laughs> Yeah, vlog it. That's my advice. Vlog it for the Patreon. The cops will never find out. So I just sent Natalia a YouTube video. But while you are looking at that, Natalia, I am going to read a description of this treasure. And then I want you to describe what the treasure looks like after I've read this. Can you, can I just talk while you rehearse what you're going to say? I've got half a brain cell. Okay. You read what you're going to say and I'm going to just go ahead and tell people about this amazing video that I'm watching. You guys, you have to go to at let's get haunted on Instagram and look at this fucking treasure because I cannot, when I tell you that you could never in your wildest dreams, imagine how magical this shit looks. Uh, I'm, I'm telling you the truth. I am looking at, I don't even know what these are. I think these are like, you know, the thing that the Vikings, like a horn that they drink out of, it's like that, but it's like a deer's head with like antlers and there's fairies on it. And there's just like all this intricate shit, but, but they're made of 24 karat gold. This sign says the treasure is made out of 24 karat gold and weighs a total of 6.1 kilograms. Now, I don't know shit about your your kilogram fake system you guys do over there in that part of the world. Is that heavy? Is that not? I don't know. But I know that 24 karat gold is like the most gold you can have per gold. And it's actually so (laughs) much gold that people don't even like like it because it's like malleable and you can't wear it you can't wear jewelry made out of 24 karat gold it's like foil because it's so soft um there's also vases in here that have like centaurs um there's people there's like a like a person's a vase made out of like a person's head this is you guys just have to see this stuff because when when normally when you think of treasure you're thinking of like i don't know like a um this like you fucking uh like a cartoon like you know in a cartoon when they find like an aladdin they open up that cave or whatever and they find all of that the cave of wonders yes the cave of wonders this stuff is in that cave of wonders i'm not talking about like someone's dusty old checkbook or like some pieces of broken fucking dinnerware where you like ends up in a museum with a little sign next to it that's like in the fourth century no this is fucking descended from the heavens 
someone was having a dream and they woke up and they found the shit under their pillow and then they became a prophet and started a religion. Like, this is magical shit. And you guys need to look at this because I feel... I feel like if I discover... Like, see, this is why I want to discover treasure. Because now I'm magical. Like, even though this is someone else's accomplishments from thousands of years ago, millennia ago, someone else was this skilled and someone else was this iconic, like a king or a queen or whatever they had then, that they were presented with this gift as like a way to um, iconize their divine being okay but now if i find this now it's gonna be my picture that someone on a podcast is talking about i'm gonna be petco you know what i mean it's gonna be your grainy photo and people are gonna be debating whether or not you got buccal fat removal and that's what we want yes it'll be me where the pets go so let me tell you about this treasure because i think i've recovered another quarter of a brain cell thank you for that pause (laughs) in me talking Um, So this treasure combines the artistic tastes of the Greek world and the Orient, blending Eastern forms with imagery of Greek origin. The archaeological finding indicates the emergence of the Hellenistic style in the scenes of Aphrodite, Athena, and Hera before the judgment of Paris and demonstrates the significant role played by the Thracians. The golden artifacts reveal the virtuosity of the ancient goldsmiths who have reached the pinnacle of arts. The treasure is a witness to a particularly brilliant civilization and impressed with their decorative richness. Mm -hmm. The treasure confirms the stories of ancient Greek writers and historians that the Thracians, besides the horses and wine, loved gold ornaments and jewelry most of all. The golden Thracian treasure from this small... from this small Bulgarian village has been touring the world for years, making the civilization of the ancient Thrace famous all around the globe. It was exhibited in numerous towns and capitals from London to Rome to Paris, New York, Moscow, Budapest, or Budapest, Tokyo, Mexico, Montreal, Madrid, Boston, Detroit, New Delhi, Helsinki, Berlin, and Prague. The permanent place of display, however, of this gold is in the National History Museum in Sofia in Bulgaria. So that's pretty crazy, right? Like just some random brothers digging for clay to like make their shitty uh, pots and pans and like, and a glass to drink dirty water from. And then all of a sudden they just stumble upon one of the best surviving archeological discoveries of the Thracian era. So did these guys get to keep this treasure? Okay, I had the exact same thought as you, and I could not find anything that said what they got to keep or what they didn't get to keep. I don't know if they got paid. I don't know anything. I could not find any information on that. Did they just, like, mark well. them? Like, the, the government was just like, thanks for finding your treasure, and then they just disappeared, but the treasure survived? Look, all I know is if I was living in Bulgaria in the 1940s, and I found treasure... Yes, I would tell people because how can you not shut the fuck up about that? But I would also keep some of it and just be like, no, I gave you everything I found, right? Right. Well, oh, this is like the Fabergé eggs. This is a conspiracy. We have to find Petco's gold. Oh, man. I bet you he then got a strong box and his portion of the gold is now buried somewhere in the countryside. It's just like a never-ending Matryoshka doll of buried treasure. 
So let's talk about another example of a treasure cache found in Bulgaria. This time when a farmer plowing his field unearthed 165 jugs and goblets of varying sizes dating all the way back to the 5th century BC. This treasure cache would come to be known as the Ragozin treasure, and there are dozens and dozens of other examples of people finding treasure other than these two that I chose to read to you. Natalia, I'm going to send you um, some pictures and a video of the Ragozin treasure, and I'd like you to describe it to our listeners. Oh, wow. Okay, this is, look, I'm looking at it. It's not quite as cool as the gold ones, but still cool. Um, it looks yeah. like it's that same style of the Thracian, Thracian period. Um, but yeah, it's just like not as lit because instead of being 24 karat gold, it's silver and gilded silver. Um, so, you know, I'm going to give this one like a seven out of, you know what it is? This is really like, this is why, this is why it's so hard to be. Um, treasure because you're just constantly compared to other treasure so like if I had never seen that shit I saw before with like all the fucking centaurs and all that and the 24 karat gold this would be amazing and I'd be like oh my god I wish I found this this is so cool but nothing's ever gonna live up to that first one that Petco found because how could it yeah you're right how could it how could it and there are dozens and dozens of examples just like these two that I chose to read to you. There, And some of these caches are even thought to be cursed, <gasps> like imbued with different curses. And some people think that the original owners of these gold strong boxes or gold caches had hidden their treasures and placed curses on them so that if anyone other than a direct descendant found it, like they would die or be struck with illness or be like cursed with bad luck for the rest of their lives. So... <laughs> It's high risk, high reward. Hey. On one hand, the government is encouraging people to go out and find this treasure as long as they report it back to the government. But then on the other hand, if you're just like an average person and you don't even get to keep the gold coins if you play by the Bulgarian government's rules and you get cursed, like what's in it for you? You know what I mean? I like 100% believe that this stuff would be cursed because we've talked about the evil eye before, right? Like we've talked about yeah. how you can be cursed not even by someone quote unquote putting a curse on you but i think like if these people left all of this stuff like it was the stuff was hidden in such tragedy like you don't hide all of your precious belongings um just because it's like a fun thing to do you know you do it because you're afraid right. you're you have to um, because you need it for something or perhaps like it's not safe or you don't feel safe. It's not, it's not just for fun. So I wonder if this stuff like already just had a curse on it because it was just like, uh, soaked up all of the bad energy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And like, what is the purpose of, you know, a golden goblet? It's to be used right. and drunk from. So if you're just like, you know, hoarding this stuff of great value and not even using it for its intended purpose, mm -hmm. does that goblet get mad at you on some level right. and like create its own curse from the bitterness of not being used and not being in the sunlight with the rays glinting off its golden exterior? Instead, it's just entombed unceremoniously in the ground in this fucking dirt clay pit. Mm. And so does it also get mad? 
Yeah, I mean, that's like photography, right? We talked about this in the rake episode where we were saying like, oh, the more you talk about something, the more of a life you give it. So could mm. you give the treasure, like these inanimate objects, life because everyone's talking about them. Wow. They're getting famous. Everyone's writing about it. There were, we're still sharing pictures um, decades later. And now the gold has thoughts. Uh, and so I guess the only way to break that curse is just to use everything you find. Like, oh, you find a precious, uh, artifact, like precious rings from the time of Solomon. Like you better fucking put that shit on and take some pictures for your IG because you yeah, need to be yeah. using that. Otherwise you, you better fucking cursed. polish that shit, uh, hold it up to the sun <laughs> and moon, tell it how pretty it is and create an Instagram account dedicated to it because otherwise it it could turn on you real quick wow for some reason my very tired stupid brain was just thinking of like <laughs> you're on facebook and like you don't want your jewelry to be mad at you your ancient jewelry so you have to like put the like you're in a relationship, your relationship status. <laughs> your relationship status changes from like single or like just not visible to has jewelry ancient jewelry in a display case at my home or like it's complicated with ancient jewelry <laughs> like you made a facebook page for your ancient jewelry <laughs> it's complicated <laughs> with ancient ancient found treasure <laughs> this is the stupidest commentary um, i don't know if the, this is that is so fucking funny to me i don't no, I know if it it, i don't know you guys tell us if we're just losing no, no, no. but then but then like what if the ancient jewelry misunderstands a joke that it sees on facebook and like starts like commenting like serious like it's like Okay, like another piece of jewelry is like in a reel or something like that, and the ancient jewelry comments on it, and it's like, "This is uh, uh, this is uh, unrealistic beauty standards for ancient jewelry, uh, because we didn't have we didn't have the proper technology that jewelers have now, so of course I don't look like that. I didn't have the proper maintenance." <laughs> wow. Oh. I we're on to something. We we're on to something. Mm -hmm. But back to our original story. It's 1990. The Bulgarian government has just undergone a series of revolutions as the Cold War slowly comes grinding to a halt and desperate politicians in charge of getting the country back on track as it spirals ever deeper into a financial crisis are holding closed door meetings trying to come up with a plan. It was at this point that one or more of these politicians decided that they would need some help. They were in way over their heads and they were looking for a miracle. Now enter Baba Vanga. Natalia, do you know who Baba Vanga is? Baba Vanga. Baba Vanga's origin story is like something out of a superhero film. But before we go too deep into her life, let's briefly discuss her name because I can already foresee some confusion. Baba Vanga is not a first and last name, but rather the word Baba is actually a title that translates to grandmother. There have been many famous people throughout history, both real and fictitious, who have gone by the title of Baba. The most famous being Baba Yaga, the folkloric magical old woman who is said to live in a chicken-legged hut somewhere deep in the Slavic forests. While we're saving the tale of Baba Yaga for a completely different episode, I did want to explain to our non-Slavic listeners what Baba means in this context. 
Now that that's out of the way and we understand that Baba is just a title given to elderly women in Slavic countries, we can move on to the next concept, which is that a baby would obviously never be called Baba. So now, as I move into the next part of the story in which we discuss Baba Vanga's life, I will be referring to her baby self as Baby Vanga instead of Baba Vanga. Born prematurely in 1911 within the borders of the Ottoman Empire, Vanga's parents didn't even bother to name her at first. The doctors who treated her insisted that she was too sickly and too small to survive more than a few weeks and advised her parents to make funeral arrangements. Things were touch and go for quite some time, with the tiny baby remaining under the constant care of a midwife. But, as the weeks continued to go by, it became obvious that baby Vanga was not giving up without a fight. After being completely silent since the day of her birth, one day, the baby let out a wail that soon erupted into her first cries, a significant milestone in the life of any baby, but especially a sick one. The midwife, shocked but elated, ran out into the streets and asked the first two strangers who crossed her path what she should name the baby. The first stranger's name suggestion was immediately rejected for sounding too Greek, but the second stranger's suggestion was taken and baby Vanga was soon given the name Vangelia. If you're thinking that Vangelia's life got easier as she got older, you would be dead fucking wrong because her childhood was chock full of nothing but tragedy. Her father was a soldier conscripted into the Bulgarian army during World War I, leaving her entirely in the care of her mother. This might have been fine had her mother not tragically passed away while her father was out at war, leaving Vangelia orphaned. She continued living alone in the family home even though she was just a child, and neighbors would go to check on her from time to time to make sure she was okay. After World War I, the area in which her neighborhood was located was ceded to Yugoslavia, and the government seized all property located in that region for themselves. This left Vangelia and her father homeless and poverty-stricken, depending on the kindness of strangers and family friends to survive. Now this sounds bad enough on its own, but things took an even worse turn when her father was arrested by the Yugoslavian government for being pro-Bulgaria. Despite all the hardships she faced, people living in her village described Vangelia as extremely smart. When she played with other children in the neighborhood, she always wanted to play as a quote-unquote healer, brewing different herbs and spices together for other children to drink who would play sick. With her mother dead and her father now in jail, the moment that would transform Vangelia into Baba Vanga was about to happen. One day, a frightful tornado descended from the heavens seemingly out of nowhere, whipping through the town and destroying everything in its wake. Vangelia, who was playing outside by herself, was quickly thrown up into the air by the tornado, whipping her around in dizzying circles higher and higher into the sky. Vangelia could hardly breathe, let alone see, as the tornado carried her up into the heavens, pieces of homes and trees and rocks knocking into her as she flew. Frightened townsfolk who witnessed Vangelia getting sucked up into the tornado quickly ran for help, and soon a rescue party went on the hunt, bravely running towards the direction of the tornado's path. Then, just as quickly as the tornado appeared, 
it suddenly vanished in the middle of a field. Running over to the site, villagers were stunned to find Vangelia lying there, surrounded by debris, but alive. As she coughed and sputtered, trying to sit up, she realized that she could no longer open her eyes. It seemed that small shards of glass, dust, dirt, and other debris had been ground into them while she was stuck inside the tornado, and Vangelia cried out in pain. From this point forward, her eyesight worsened and worsened until she was declared completely blind, unable to open her eyes. In 1925, Vangelia's father was finally released from prison. He quickly remarried and Vangelia was returned to him by the family friends she had been staying with. For a short time, it seemed that everything was finally looking up for the now 14-year-old girl. However, the stark reality of the situation soon became apparent. The family was still living in poverty. Realizing that he was unable to properly care for a disabled child, her father and stepmother made the tough decision to send Vangelia to a special school for the blind far away from everyone. She would spend the next three years of her life living at this school, eventually returning back to her father's care when she turned 18. According to the book The Weiser Field Guide to the Paranormal by Judith Joyce, it is at this point in her life that Vangelia started to demonstrate impossible abilities. Vangelia says she first realized she was different when her father, who was working as a sheep herder, lost one of his sheep. Devastated and unable to find the missing sheep, he came home defeated. Vangelia decided that, although she was blind, she would go out and help her father look for the sheep. Immediately, as if drawn by some unseen force, Vangelia immediately found the sheep hiding out in the pasture. Later, she would describe that all she had to do was concentrate on the image of a sheep in her mind's eye, and that her mind responded with a picture of where the sheep was located. Armed with this new ability, Vangelia started settling into her new life at home with her dad and stepmother, and again, things started looking up for the teen. But nearly 10 years later, she would suffer another devastating setback when, in 1939, at the age of 28, Vangelia began having trouble breathing. She would get sudden attacks of a painful, squeezing feeling in her chest, and soon she was bedbound due to her condition. Visited by a doctor, she was diagnosed with pleurisy, or inflammation of the membranes surrounding her lungs, and was told that she would soon die. Laying in her bed, Vangelia's life flashed before her eyes. She had first nearly died in childbirth, then again in a tornado, and now due to pleurisy. But true to form, she wasn't ready to give in just yet. She sensed that the world had more in store for her and she soon stunned her doctors by making a miraculous recovery. During World War II, Vangelia went back to her roots as a child and again took up the trades of herbalism and healing. She was so good at healing that word of her abilities spread around the country and people would come from all over to visit her and be healed. What started off as just brewing teas and elixirs soon grew to Vangelia also healing people just by laying her hands on them and reciting incantations. Soon, she was well known as a soothsayer or fortune teller. People from all over Eastern Europe began flocking to her home, begging her to tell them how their loved ones who were fighting in the war were doing. 
1942, the monarch of Bulgaria, Tsar Boris III himself, visited Vangelia's small town specifically to see her and have her read his fortune. Also in 1942, Vangelia would find love when a young man named Dimitar Gushtarov visited her home. Dimitar's brother had been murdered just a few weeks prior, and so far the police had no leads. Dimitar visited Vangelia for this reason, begging her to reveal to him the true identity of his brother's killer. According to legend, she did reveal the identity of the killer, but only after Dimitar promised her that he would not seek revenge or reveal what she had told him. Grateful for her help, Dimitar promptly proposed to Vangelia, and she married him that same year at the age of 31. Vangelia soon went by the nickname Vanga, and as she aged, those around her referred to her lovingly as Baba Vanga. Vanga lived a long life, finally succumbing to old age in 1996. So that's a pretty amazing story, right? But if you're like me, you're probably curious about how these fortune-telling abilities worked. Well, according to author Judith Joyce, Vanga herself described them as follows, quote, She claimed to receive information from invisible beings that said that if someone stood before her, she could see the person's life as if it were a movie from beginning to end. Baba Vanga asked visitors to give her a sugar cube, which she then used as a crystal to focus energy and receive information through. End quote. In 1946, when Bulgaria became communist, members of the ruling elite and even historic Soviet leader Leonid Brezhnev was said to have visited Vanga on several different occasions. Author Judith Joyce points out how interesting this is since the Communist Party had a history of persecuting self-proclaimed fortune tellers. But what set Baba Vanga apart from the rest of the soothsayers was her accuracy. Judith Joyce writes that Baba Vanga was studied and analyzed throughout her lifetime, and she was determined to have an 80% success rate with her predictions and her ability to locate missing persons. 80% accuracy is like more accurate than this podcast. Oh yeah, yeah, oh 180% more accurate than this podcast. 100% of the time it's 80% accurate. A hundred, yeah. <laughs> of course, skeptics are quick to point out that not all of her predictions would come to pass, but let's take a look at some of the correct predictions that Baba Vanga is credited with. Wow, that's a really interesting origin story for uh, a seer. But I all, but like we talked about in the episode, um, the recent episode about. Uh, what was that about? Oh, the NDEs. I can't remember what it was that led us there. That was a weird fucking episode. But one of the things we talked about on that episode was that trauma can make people psychic. Uh, there's no time to explain, but you guys need to listen to that episode. Yeah. And so I wonder if that is something that happened to her. It could be. What's interesting, too, is when Enzo was born, he didn't cry either. And then a psychic told me that he was a super old soul and a shaman. So I don't know. Maybe if you've already been born before, you just don't cry. You, oh, you've been there, like, done that. Oh, I'm back here. You're like, this isn't a big deal to me. Yeah, it's like yeah. not alarming, right? Like babies born, they're like, oh, I was just in a womb and now I'm like out and I've never seen lights before. And this is like, whoa, who are these people and what am I doing? And someone else is like, oh my God, I spawned yeah. again. <laughs> like, fuck have to do this shit again again until i'm like 80 something god I, that's actually a very good hypothesis 
But so I want to read to you the list of predictions that Baba Vanga is credited with. So during her lifetime, she made tons of predictions. And some of the main notable ones are the following. She supposedly predicted the September 11th terrorist attacks on the World Trade Center in New York City. She predicted the rise of ISIS, the 2004 Indian Ocean tsunami, the breakup of the Soviet Union, the sinking of the Russian submarine the Kursk in the year 2000, the election of Barack Obama as the president of the United States, the Syrian civil war and the refugee crisis, the conflict in Ukraine and the annexation of Crimea by Russia, and then these are the ones that have not yet happened, but people, because she's she died in 1996, like I said, but she was like, in the year 2023, yeah. this is going to happen. So th this is what she thought would happen this year. She said, uh, the discovery of a new energy source will change the course of humanity. A tremendous war in the Muslim countries in 2023 will lead to the deaths of millions of people and leave Europe almost uninhabitable. What? China will become the next superpower and will replace the United States. And a great shaking will occur in 2023 that triggers a series of massive earthquakes and tsunamis. That is so scary because World War III is like upon us. We're like, based off of the criteria that you talked about at the beginning of this episode of what a cold war is, it's like we're in a cold war right now. There's proxy wars going on. Um, there's like mass spying and information going on. And now um, Baba Vanga is saying that perhaps Europe is going to be uninhabitable. Is that because they're going to nuke it? Like what's happening? Baba Vanga, you bitch. Why did you say this? <laughs> Come back from the dead, you bitch. Um, so I also just wanted to quickly say, because I thought it was creepy as fuck. So when, when I say she predicted September 11th terrorist attacks, this is what she actually said. She said that a horrible thing would happen in America in 2001 caused by two steel birds crashing. What the fuck? That is, but that's that so gave me creepy. Chills. Isn't that the creepiest way you that could possibly? That gave me chills everywhere because um, uh, now I want to cry. Because I thought that she was just kind of full of shit. Like when she was predicting all of this stuff. Like, of course, if you're listening to the news or just like hearing the history of the world there's fucking always you know terrorist attacks there's always giant wars being fought between religious groups there's always the rise of isis whoever isis is uh you know what i mean it's like those those things are just yeah like archetypes of bad shit that's always happening yeah Givens. but to say that in america in 2001 the year something terrible is gonna happen from two steel birds crashing together like that seems very specifically about 9-11 now granted the skeptics could say oh she just rattled off a bunch of bullshit and you guys forgot about the bullshit that didn't come true like she could have just been like oh in the year yeah. 2017 there will be stars that rain from the heavens and a pokey man will come up from the earth How, you know and that didn't come true <laughs> or did it so but also yeah exactly i know some men who are pokey who knows? Well, besides this impressive list of world events, Baba Vanga is also credited with local predictions. For example, when a Bulgarian opera singer came to her for career advice, Vanga cryptically told her not to fly in any airplanes. When the opera singer disobeyed flying on a plane to perform in a show, the plane apparently crashed and burst into flames, killing all aboard. 
While some place the blame for this event on the opera singer who so blatantly ignored Vanga's advice, others blamed the Baba herself, asking why all of her advice and predictions had to be so vague. Why couldn't Vanga have just point blank told the opera singer that she would die if she tried to fly that day? When questioned, author Judith Joyce states that Vanga herself described her powers as follows, quote, she claimed that she could see fate, but was powerless to change it. She claimed to see and converse with people who had died centuries before. She also said that aliens had been living on Earth amongst people for centuries, but that within 200 years, definitive contact would be made. She was ambivalent about revealing the future. Some accuse her of intentionally failing to deliver bad news. She claimed that she was not permitted to reveal everything she knew to everyone. End quote. Okay, so now that we know who Baba Vanga is, you might be asking me why the fuck I just went on a giant tangent about her. Well, like I said, back in 1990, Bulgarian politicians were brainstorming how to make money. And realizing that they were in over their heads, these key leaders and military men decided that they needed help. And not just any kind of help, but supernatural help. And thus, they decided they needed to consult with the psychic community. While many wanted the famous clairvoyant Baba Vanga herself to help, others suggested that a lesser-known psychic who went by Elisaveta Laganova would be a better fit for the job. Now, like I said, details on all of this are pretty murky, with official documents having been destroyed in the years since this event took place. Some accounts say that both Baba Vanga and Elisaveta Laganova were consulted during this meeting, while others say that Baba Vanga didn't come into the story until much later. Whatever the reality of the situation was, local legend states that one or more psychics, including Elisaveta Laganova and possibly also Baba Vanga, told the Bulgarian government how they could quickly and efficiently stabilize the economy. In a passage that would later be discovered written in a journal kept by Elisaveta Laganova, she wrote that she told the political leaders the following, There is a vast and ancient treasure buried in a small Bulgarian neighborhood either near or in the rural village of Sarijina. This treasure, Laganova said, consisted of riches left over from the first Bulgarian empire and was buried at the behest of the former emperor himself, an imposing man known as Samuel or Samuel of Bulgaria. Stories of this treasure had permeated Bulgarian oral tradition for generations, and the treasure of Samuel of Bulgaria was legendary, with many believing it to be the largest unrecovered treasure cache in existence. This news, then, was obviously very tempting to the political leaders involved, because finding this treasure would theoretically mean the end of all of their worries. If they could just get their hands on the priceless treasure cache, the largest in history, their money troubles would soon be far behind them in the distant past. However, there were some in the meeting who allegedly did not think this treasure hunt was a good idea. There were some who believed that this cache rumored to have been buried sometime in the early thousands, was cursed. Natalia, do you think that a treasure could become... We talked about a lot of ways that we were hypothesizing, like how a treasure could become cur 
cursed. You know, maybe the treasure itself is upset about, you know, not being used and being hoarded and is, is just absorbing that negative energy and stewing in its own negativity until it becomes cursed. Maybe it's that uh, the energy of the fright uh, or anxiety of the person that hit it is like somehow impressed upon the treasure. Or do you think it's possible for a treasure to be more cursed or less cursed depending on whose treasure it is? Like, for example, do you think like the treasure of if, if Osama bin Laden had had gold treasure and hit it like <laughs> versus if like um, Whoopi Goldberg had treasure that she hid? Like, do you think that there would be a difference in energy from that treasure? Of course. Yeah, of course. But let's let's ask a better question. You, Allie, would you like if you found out that you had inherited Osama bin Laden's treasure, what would you do with it? Would you get rid of it? Would you keep it on display? Would you donate it to a museum? What would you I think do? I'd donate it to a museum just because the effort of trying to find a private buyer on the black market seems like a lot. You can't just go on to the dark web and be like, Osama bin Laden's uh, treasure for sale. No, because I'm such a, like I'm such a fucking simple. boomer. I would be on like, I would just go on the dark web. I would like open the onion, whatever the fuck you have to do to download to get on the dark web. Yeah. And I like jailbreak your computer. And then I would just be <laughs> like treasure.com forward slash cursed mm. treasure. And I would just find the first message board that's clearly run by the government. That's like trying to find like... <laughs> arts dealers that are on like working in the black market and i'd just be like hi i stole osama bin laden's treasure anybody want it for like a million dollars and then i'd be arrested just go on offer up and sell osama bin laden's treasure i'm sure there's some i'm sure there's someone who's tried to do this if we type in osama bin laden's treasure i'm sure it's going to come up uh but to answer your question and not get too far off track yes i do believe because essentially what you're saying is like can objects become haunted yes right yeah like we we know that like Hitler's uh, looking glass or like Hitler's mirror that he stared in every day is probably super fucking fucked up. Oh my god, that just and made me want to throw up. I forgot that he looked in mirrors because he was a human. In my mind, he's yeah. like this caricature of a monster, and so imagining him looking in a mirror just gave me the creeps. Right, and somewhere that mirror exists, and I saw it because there's this museum in Oklahoma. I think it's called the 45th Entry Infantry Museum, and it's just like all of the stuff. Like you know when when an army or whatever infantry goes in somewhere, like they take a bunch of shit. So they went to Hitler's apartment in Munich uh, after World War II and took a bunch of shit. So you have like his desk is in there. His glasses are in there. Everything from his apartment in Munich is in there. Oh, my God. And on the wall hanging is a mirror. And I remember walking through there just as a kid. I was probably like 10 or something. My dad took me to this museum. He's like, you want to see some taints and some like haunted shit? And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> I go in there and he's like, come look at this. And it's just a mirror on the wall. But my dad's just staring at this mirror and he's like, come look at this mirror. And I'm like, this is not that cool. And he's like, this is the mirror that they took from uh, Hitler's bathroom in his Munich apartment. And I was just like, okay, cool story, bro, whatever. And he's like, how? He's like, do you think Hitler ever stood in front of this mirror and looked into it? Your dad is so haunted. So fucking haunted, right? And I just stood there and I kind of like looked at him and he was like, yeah, it gives me the creeps. And I was like, yeah, what the fuck? He is haunted. 
That's some scary shit to say to someone. <laughs> that is that is super Especially fucked like up and scary. But my point well, being, yes, treasure is absolutely haunted. We and it can this. be more or less haunted based on the person who it belonged to. So that's what we've decided right, right. now. Well, good. I'm glad we've decided that because remember that the psychics are trying to lead the government to King Samuel's treasure. To understand this part of the story, we need to go on another brief tangent about the czar who the treasure belonged to, King Samuel of Bulgaria. In an article for Bolkarka magazine entitled King Samuel, the Irreconcilable Warrior on the Throne of Bulgaria, the author, who goes by the curious name of Salvation of the Saviors, writes both about how beloved Samuel is by modern-day Bulgarians and also about how cursed the king is thought to have been. The author notes that Samuel gained a reputation for being relentless, participating in many victories and defeats on the battlefield in his lifetime. In fact, the author notes that the timeline of Samuel's life is almost entirely made up of constant battles. The author goes on to describe the family history of King Samuel as being shocking and dramatic, full of all of the elements of a Shakespearean play. Hypocrisy, treachery, cruelty, betrayal, and lots of bloodshed. The author concludes by saying, quote, The genus Comitopoli, from which Samuel is descended, seems to have been under a curse. During Samuel's reign, the Bulgarians were locked in a bitter rivalry with the Byzantines, relentlessly fighting each other to the death, with power exchanging hands on more than one occasion. According to the Encyclopedia Britannica, quote, Samuel began his effective rule in the 980s in what is now Western Bulgaria and Macedonia. He then conquered Serbia and further extended his power into Northern Bulgaria, Albania, and Northern Greece. In the 980s, he defended the Byzantine Emperor Basil II, known as the Bulgar Slayer, but from the date of Samuel's coronation as Bulgarian Tsar in 997, the intermittent struggle with the Byzantines went against him. On July 29, 1014, Basil overwhelmed Samuel in the Battle of Belasitsa. At Basil's order, the Bulgarian prisoners, about 15,000 men, were all blinded before being returned to King Samuel. Samuel is said to have fainted from shock at seeing his men permanently maimed and promptly died. He was succeeded by his son, Gavril, who would be murdered in the year 1015. After Gavril's death, Samuel's nephew, Ivan, rose to power before also promptly being killed in battle in 1018. At this point, Bulgaria fell to the Byzantines. Sometime before the king's death, while locked in this horrific battle, Samuel's fortune is rumored to have been hidden away, locked in a strongbox and buried somewhere in modern-day Bulgaria. We now return from this tangent back to our original story, where Laganova has just told Bulgarian politicians that she believes she knows the location of this long-lost treasure. Some politicians are excited at the idea, while others are fearful of possible curses that may linger over the treasure. Undeterred by the grumblings of a few detractors worried about unleashing misfortune upon the country, Laganova then reveals that she is in contact with otherworldly spirits that spoke to her extensively about this cache. She said that the spirits told her that this treasure was not only thought to contain precious metals and jewels of monetary value, but also 
something else. Something that can change life on Earth as we know it. She did not know what that other thing was. She only knew that the spirits told her it was there. This thing became known as Object Number One. Prying into Laganova's psychic abilities, she was questioned intensely. Where was she getting this information from? Who were these spirits? In a formal report published in Bulgaria in 2005, Laganova's spirits were explained as follows. The spirits would contact her by temporarily overtaking her body. She would then write on a piece of paper without knowing what she was writing. The spirits would guide her pen and write what they wanted her to communicate. But first, Laganova would have to go into a trance-like state during a seance in an attempt to tap into the spirit's channel, which she called Channel Roro. These seances could last up to anywhere from two to three hours, at which point Laganova would snap out of her trance and look at the papers in front of her to see what the spirits had written. She also believed that these spirits were not of humans, but possibly those of aliens. Besides Laganova's psychic data, it is said that around this same time, another person came forward with information about King Samuel's treasure that seemed to corroborate Laganova's story. According to an article by Elora Gogova entitled The Mystery of Serechina, a local Serechina prospector named Dimitar Kekemanov claimed that in his dreams, the spirits of prominent Bulgarian historical figures appeared to him. These men told Kekaminov that the blood of Tsar Samuel was in his veins and that as his descendant, he should lead the Bulgarian people to the famed treasure cache of his relative. Dimitar then drew a diagram of where the treasure could be found and what it looked like. Then the government decided to consult with three other psychics, Dmitry Sirikov, Dora Petrova, and Marina Naplatanova all who seemingly agreed with Dimitar that there indeed was some sort of treasure, or at least an object, buried in the ground in Serechina. Based on this information, the Bulgarian government formed a task force named Association Phenomenon, or the Phenomenon Association, on November 21, 1990. This association then ordered the military, along with several high-ranking colonels, to set out with Dimitar to the area in Serechina where he said the treasure was. A total of 60 people showed up in the town, ripped the town's sign off its hinges, fenced off the perimeter of the area the treasure was located, and got to work under the top-secret code name Operation Sunray, or in Bulgarian, Slunchev Luch. Dimitar estimated that the treasure would be found within three days if they used large earth-moving equipment. But as soon as the dig began, it became clear that the endeavor would be anything but simple. The digging crews began experiencing strange equipment shutdowns with no explanation. Large excavators would randomly stop running, shut down as if a force field was emanating from the hole. As the hole grew deeper, soldiers working at the dig site reported feeling sick and uneasy, a sense of dread growing along with the hole. Equipment continued to malfunction at an alarming rate, despite army mechanics insisting that everything should be working just fine. Large tents were erected within the perimeter of the fence line near the hole, 
and much of the digging staff was ordered to sleep there on site to increase efficiency. At night, villagers living in the surrounding area reported seeing balls of bright light floating around in the sky above the pit. Soldiers began quitting, begging to be reassigned to anywhere else. Strange noises, like disembodied voices, sometimes accompanied the strange lights in the sky. And, in hushed whispers, people began to wonder if the site was cursed. As the hole grew larger and larger with no treasure in sight, discontent and even skepticism began to heighten amongst the workers. Finally, at the end of about a month of digging, the military had completed a hole that was nearly 160 meters or 525 feet deep. And yet, there was no treasure anywhere within this hole. At this point, the Bulgarian government decided to get rid of Dimitar and pull in some of the other psychics that had been consulted for the project, namely Elisaveta Laganova and Marina Naplantanova to assist them in the search. Arriving at the dig site, Elisaveta promptly went into her trance-like state, and once her seance was finished, she indicated on a map the area where her alien spirit guides had told her to look. The location was a few feet from where Dimitar had indicated, and again the military went to work digging. But no sooner had they restarted the project than so too did the strange happenings restart. Equipment again continued to break down at unpredictable intervals, and locals began having sightings of orbs and spheres flying throughout the sky, not just at night, but also during the day. Undeterred, the remaining soldiers dug through the end of December and all of January. By February, the team still had not found anything, but Marina Naplatanova and Elisaveta Laganova both insisted that they knew something would soon be found. Angry that their search was coming up empty, the government allegedly ordered Naplatanova and Laganova to increase the frequency of their seances, forcing them to conduct multiple sessions a day. These hours-long trances would leave Naplatanova in particular drained after each session. Finally, in February, Naplatanova ended her life by jumping from a 10th floor balcony. While many of the details surrounding her suicide remain unclear, it was reported that during one of these government-ordered seances, Naplatanova had connected with a spirit identified only as Kiki, and that this spirit had become attached to her, tormenting her psychologically for weeks before she finally died. In a letter written by her father, who was a colonel working on Operation Sunray, addressed to the Bulgarian Attorney General, he opined that his daughter's death should be looked into not as a suicide, but as a murder. We'll talk more about what else he said when we get to the theories, but for now, we continue with the story of the Sarichina Hole. After Marina Naplatanova's untimely death, the digging did not cease at the work site. Elisaveta Laganova was now at the helm as the main psychic consultant, and only a small crew of military men now digging with pickaxes and shovels remained. One day, the digging crew hit something hard with one of their shovels. Scraping the dirt off of the object, they soon realized that they were standing upon a massive stone tablet of some sort. Etched into the tablet were a series of strange markings, almost like hieroglyphs. 
none at the dig site could determine what language, if any, the stone was written in. Calling over Laganova to take a look, the psychic studied the stone slab at length. At this point, Laganova reportedly decided to consult with the most prominent Bulgarian mystic of all time, Baba Vanga, asking for advice about the tablet. There are many versions of this part of the story, but the most common narrative seems to be the following. According to thewatchtowers.org, in his book The Sarichina Phenomenon, Colonel Svetko Kanev, who took part in the research at the Sarichina Hole, reveals to the public that at a depth of five and a half meters, the team came across a smooth rectangular stone, which was defined to be a biological protection slab by the remote viewer Eli Laganova. The message of hieroglyphs was translated by Laganova through a seance with her aliens. The slab's engraving was determined to say, quote, stop, dangerous to human life bacteria beyond this point. At this point, when Laganova decided to consult with Baba Vanga about whether or not they should continue to excavate past the stone, the Baba reportedly said in response, dig no further, misfortune will be upon us. Despite hearing Baba Vanga's prophetic warning, the soldiers continued to dig around and under the slab. Upon digging deep enough, they eventually reached an area where the dirt gave way to a passageway. Walking through this passageway, the men came upon a new passageway, described as being similar to a spiral staircase leading deep down into the earth. Colonel Svetko Kanev goes on to say in his book that following the spiral staircase downward, the military soon encountered a new barrier at about 12 meters in depth. Another stone slab, this one in the shape of a concave lens. This tablet was covered in more strange hieroglyphs that were translated by Eli Laganova to mean, stop, biohazard past this point. But again, despite the warning, the military men continued to dig past this new stone slab until the tunnel had increased to 190 meters in length. At this point, the men reported that they could dig no further because they had come upon a large concave wall, this one seemingly acting like a seal. Reporting back to their officers above ground about what they had found at the bottom of the hole, the men were ordered to take sledgehammers and pickaxes and destroy the seal to see what was past it. Thinking that they must have finally reached the famed treasure of Tsar Samuel of Bulgaria, the men eagerly obliged and began chipping away at the stone wall before them. But nothing could have prepared them for what they did eventually see when they broke down the seal. On the other side of this stone slab, the men stepped into a room. The room was described as being covered in a smooth, unknown material, the color of silver with the feel of glass. But the men had little time to make sense of the strange room they were in, because it is at this point that they were hit by a beam of powerful light which stunned them. After recovering from the light beam, their eyes could just make out a chamber in front of them to the right. Inside this chamber, there appeared to be a giant bipedal monster, described as looking almost human, but not quite. Continuing on towards this chamber, the men realized that this creature, whatever it was, seemed to be preserved in a state of suspended animation. It was not moving, but yet 
it appeared to the men that it was almost waiting to come alive. Regarding the humanoid figure inside the clear chamber, Colonel Kanev wrote the following in his book entitled The Serechina Phenomenon, quote, On the northern wall, at a depth of, at a depth of 5.5 meters, there is a figure resembling a human but larger. This figure is cherry red, or so it seems by an electric light. According to the colonel, one of his colleagues tried on three separate occasions to walk forward into the chamber to approach the clear room the humanoid was being held within. Kanev calls these two zones the X zone and the Y zone. Upon trying to cross the X zone into the Y zone, the man was thrown backward and fell down as if crashing into an invisible wall. Terrified at the sight of this cherry red devil human creature, when the men realized that there was a force keeping them from getting too close to the being, they turned tail and ran up and out of the Serechina hole. According to author Elora Gorgova, what happened next involved the men explaining to their superiors what they had seen. The men were then taken to Laganova, who began to conduct a seance, tapping into the alien spirits she detected around her. Gorgova writes, quote, In Laganova's book, Serechina, Fateful Contact, the psychic explains the instructions extraterrestrials gave her. According to Laganova, the Israeli government gave their approval for her and General Denev, the leader of the digging operation, to visit Israel, where they had to meet with experts of ancient languages and scriptures. The experts investigated Laganova's notes and stated that the languages in which the notes were written were either in Demotic, which is an ancient Egyptian script, or ancient North Chinese scripts. A peculiar meeting occurred between her and a rabbi from an ancient library, which left Laganova in surprise. The rabbi allegedly heard Laganova's tale, and without any skepticism, he replied, What will they tell us? The psychic claimed that she received further reaffirming information from aliens, which was collected in classified notebooks and which purportedly referred to the, quote, birth of the earth. The reason for her visit to Israel has forever been shrouded in mystery. Laganova claimed that she and Denev were sent there to meet specifically with this rabbi of the ancient library. But the truth may never be known, and Laganova claims that all of her notebooks were soon taken and destroyed by the Bulgarian government. Laganova went on to tell the others at the dig site that what they had found inside the pit they had dug was a prototype of a human the first draft of humankind, if you will. Neither male nor female, this humanoid creature had been created by visitors from the stars who genetically modified themselves to create the first life on Earth. She further explained that her alien guides in the Ro-Ro star system told her that the stone seal that the military had destroyed was a biohazard shield, and that if the humanoid was ever awoken, it would not be able to be stopped and would proceed to destroy all life on Earth. Another psychic consulted after the fact, a medium named Gina Demirova, had this to say about the Serechina hole. Quote, when excavations in Serechina were held, the aliens told me that the research must stop. Do not dig, they said. It's not your time. For there is the center of the Earth. At a depth of 2,000 kilometers, there are findings, such as crystals. 
It is as big as the sun when it rises. Do not touch. People will not reach it, but they will disturb the atmosphere. This is a big crystal, which is dangerous and will stay there as long as the earth. It controls its movement. Stop digging because the earth will perish. Hard days will come for your people. There will be new, many terrible diseases if you dig in Sarichana. In the hole, there is the underworld. But this is not hell. There are live people like you and me down there, but their origin is different. There is also a space device that is found there. It was sent by an extraterrestrial civilization. There are cosmonauts down there. Thousands of years ago, when your country did not exist, a civilization from another planet sent a spaceship with three astronauts to Earth. They were not humans, but robots, and they were sent to explore life on Earth. They suffered damage, and the spaceship crashed in Sarichana. With every meter of digging down there, higher and higher radiation will be emitted. Do not dig into Sarichana Hole. It is not your time now. End quote. With this new discovery and information from multiple psychics encouraging them to stop, the decision was made by the Bulgarian military to cease all excavations and fill in the hole immediately. Not with soil, but with concrete. The men prayed that this would act as a seal and that humanity would be safe. And so, on November 19, 1992, the concrete was poured. Once dry, the military left the site never to return, subsequently destroying all paper trails that the event ever even happened. And that is the story of Operation Sunray and Bulgaria's Sarichina Hole. They found a barrier that was invisible that was like knocking them backwards and they were just like, all right, we're going to keep going. Like, are these are these people getting paid? Is this communism? Is Bulgaria communism? So at this point, they were transitioning from communism to socialism. Well, I don't know what they were doing, but it was making people want to work really hard. Like they were like, oh, I'm just going to keep throwing myself against this barrier. No, my tools aren't working. Fuck it. I'm just going to use my hands. Like they must have either been scared for their lives or just genuinely super intrigued. I don't know because... Um, here in the capitalist world of America, none of us are going to keep fucking digging after an invisible barrier <laughs> throwing us backwards away from something. We're like, no, no, no. I'm, I'm not that curious. Right. I'm getting so many goosebumps. It's scary. Um, they say that behind this door, there's like an ancient alien, essentially, that created mankind. It was here before anyone was. Um, it's non-binary or because it's not man or woman and they said if it gets released it can't be destroyed and it's basically gonna fuck everything up and like all these seers are like don't release it um, and why I, I don't know I really hope they don't release it please don't release it but also do because I'm interested but if they did release it wouldn't it be over by now I don't know uh, and then I just sent you a picture now there. this picture we're not sure if it's actually the creature or if somebody drew it there's like literally no context to this story at all but I thought I would just send it to you okay this picture you guys go to let's get haunted on Instagram because it 
It's scary. It looks like um, Predator. Like it's got like a really big head and like creepy legs and claw-like arms. And it looks like it's yeah. You know what it looks like? It looks like uh, the mosquito that gets uh, yeah. frozen in, in the amber. The yeah, in the amber. That's what it looks like. But I know you can't answer this question. But I'm more interested in like how that got there like who put who like obviously the aliens trapped it because it was bad but like i mean it depends on who you talk to baba vanga doesn't really elaborate because she's not like omniscient right she doesn't know everything but when they tell her what they found she's like you need to leave that shit alone like you are going to unleash a plague a curse upon the whole world if you release this ancient alien and then elisabeth she starts talking about like, oh, I actually communicate with aliens. And they told me that this is like kind of an alien robot hybrid, human hybrid that they created. And oh, like, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, this is the toxic part of me of just wanting to know what happens is like kind of like, mm, should we release it? Wow. Yeah, that's this is such a crazy story. Um I can't believe they just like sealed it up and we're like, okay, well, I I mean, I kind of get it because I do shit like that all the time. Like I start cleaning my room and then I find like a cool thing I forgot about. And I'm like, oh, yeah, watercolor. Like I'm going to start painting with this. And then like the high wears off after a little while. I'm like, oh, my room's just a mess with all this shit out everywhere. I'm just going to like put it all haphazardly back where it came from and like uh, just not worry about it. And the interesting thing is that the fence is still up around this area today. Like it's still fenced off. And then outside the fence, there's this stone that just says the hole on it, Dupkata. And people like, you can see it on Google earth. I'll post to at let's get haunted um, on Instagram, but you can see it on Google earth and people post pictures. there, like biking to it. Okay. Ali just sent me a picture of what looks like, yeah, Google earth screenshot of a rock that says in, I guess that's Russian, Bulgarian. Um, Bulgarian. Mm-hmm. Bulgarian, Dunkata. Part four, the end of the hunt. In the aftermath of the Sarichina incident, townsfolk still reported seeing strange lights in the sky and hearing disembodied voices echoing through the forests, almost like whispers. Many believed that a curse had been unleashed upon the village and people began steadily leaving the countryside for the city. As of its last reported census on September 15th, 2022, Sarichina was home to only 93 people total. An aging city with young people moving out and old people dying off. According to Bulgarian author and explorer Slavi of the YouTube channel The Clashers, it is well known in Bulgaria that nearly all documents and photos related to the Sarichina hole have been either classified or destroyed between the time the hole was filled in and now. As a consequence, we may never know the truth of this eerie mystery, but I would like to discuss the top four theories with you. But before doing that, I did want to talk about one last thing, because in my research, I did find a modern day interview with Laganova in the year 2018, because yes, she's still alive. And so we need to be very careful and say that the story I just told is all alleged, pieced together from different people's narratives. But I thought it would be interesting to just see what Laganova had to say now, looking back on the incident. So I am going to read that to you now. Interviewer. Hi, Ms. Laganova. 
Why are you publishing a book on the Sarichina incident now? Response. It took me 28 years to gain the courage to betray her because of the great negativity that was pouring on me and the team all the time on the idea of Sarichina. I wondered if I could change people's thinking, if I would have the strength to make them believe me. I had to tell the truth about what happened from 1990 to 1992. Let it go down in history and let them remember fondly what we, the team of senior military and I, have accomplished. The truth must be known, because even in the face of facts, many people who stood behind us and supported us all the time, suddenly, after the closing of the hole, which happened within a 24-hour period, turned against us or were silenced. Question. Did it become clear why the site was closed so unexpectedly? Answer. I can't say exactly. It was a shock to everyone on site. Shortly before that, Minister of War Staliski defended us in Parliament for an hour and a half. He answered questions of law about everything around this top-secret Operation Sunbeam. Awards were even prepared for the people on the team for our hard physical labor. We have been accused of taking a lot of money, of living luxuriously. My luxury bed was in the truck we called military stationery. We ate military food. You can't call any of that luxury. At the time, when Minister Staliski answered questions of Parliament, his advisor Valentin Kostov was at the site and told that he had worked for NASA on non-standard projects for more than 20 years. NASA's idea was to perform exactly the activity that we are carrying out in a paranormal way. Kostov also said, quote, Bulgaria should be proud of this endeavor. Even if you do not get to what you are looking for, this object must be preserved because it is unique and the only one in the world. A little later, the site was closed, charges were filed against everyone, and I was threatened with imprisonment. I had to say who took me there, why they took me there, and what we were planning on doing, and they asked me to write it all out. Question. And what happened to the four notebooks that you claim mysteriously disappeared from the government? Answer. Yes, they were confiscated. These are the four missing notebooks written in a strange ancient cipher letter, a compilation of various ancient writings. Because of them, during the expedition, we reached out to Israel at the invitation of the Israeli government. We met many prominent scientists who dealt with ancient languages and cultures. We visited the world's largest computer library for ancient languages. We met with one of the rabbis, guardians of the ancient Kabbalah library. This is a secret library and nobody has access to it except for seven rabbis. They are the keepers of the information about the creation of the world. Question. You had to prove that you weren't crazy, as some people claimed? Answer. Yes, and the opinion of psychologists and psychiatrists was that I was actually a phenomenon. But other than that, I am an absolutely normal person. Question. What has all this got to do with what was originally announced that you would be looking for King Samuel's treasure? Answer. The information from my spirit guide was, quote, You are going to look for the treasure of King Samuel. It is located near Sofia. Its value is great and can help the well-being and good name of Bulgaria. But it is much more important to find the remains of the first person to ever live on Earth. He was an androgen, a bisexual man, and this discovery will turn the history of the world upside down and Darwin's theory, shake your societies, shake the church's teachings. 
Therefore, when the experience began on December 6, 1990, we were set out to look for not the treasure of King Samuel, but to actually look for the first man to be found as a skeleton in the vicinity of Kostenbrod. And that is an excerpt of what Laganova claims went down at the dig site. But now we're going to move on to part five, the theories. And as I said, there are four of them. So I'm gonna read them all and then I'm gonna ask you for your opinions, Natalia. Theory number one, a failed treasure hunt combined with a scam. In this theory, the government was desperate and stupid, but not malicious. Seeing the state of the country of Bulgaria, and after witnessing the former leader of over 30 years being ousted from his position of power in essentially a coup, the current president and his military officials did not want the same fate to befall them. This state of desperation led them to be duped by many different psychics, all of whom received pay for their consultations. Theory number two, money laundering. Something interesting to note is that for a country desperate to get out of debt, they sure had no problem spending a ton of money on this weird digging project. The government spent a total of 16 million lev on the excavation, which adjusted for inflation is about 20 million lev today, or about $11 million USD. I found an interesting post by a Reddit user going by Slavic Indo in r slash unresolved mysteries about this theory. In his post, Slavic Indo writes, quote, For two years, there were a total of seven diggers, Laganova plus six high-ranking officers and generals. Somehow, they lost 16 million levs during that whole operation. Just the fences around the hole wouldn't cost that much. Their equipment were normal shovels. Could it be that politicians and others took advantage of the situation and stole the millions for themselves? At the time, and even still today, Bulgaria was an extremely corrupt and indebted state. I can definitely see how this would end up as just some crazy woman, an easily swayed chief of staff, and some high-ranking officers whose only goal was to make a fortune out of the situation. Also within this theories category, we have something called a bridge to nowhere. So it's actually a pretty common term that doesn't just refer to one structure in particular, but a whole concept. According to Wikipedia, a bridge to nowhere is a bridge where one or both ends are broken, incomplete, or unconnected to any roads. If it is an overpass or an interchange, the term overpass to nowhere or interchange to nowhere may be used respectively. While there are some reasonable explanations for why a bridge to nowhere might exist, such as a bridge never being completed for reasons such as cost, disputed property rights, one or both of the ends collapsing or being destroyed, such as in an earthquake, storm, flood, or war, or perhaps funding runs out, construction companies go under. Although these are all very reasonable explanations for what can cause a bridge to nowhere, they can also result from money laundering or politicians funneling money into a company to build something with no intention of actually completing the build and keeping all of the money for themselves anyway. Some people argue that this is exactly what happened during the excavation of the to reach in a hole, that the government funded a quote-unquote hole to nowhere and nobody ever suffered the consequences even though there were no results. Theory number three, a psychological experiment. In this theory, I wanted to briefly mention again the tragic suicide of one of the psychics, Marina Naplatanova, because I said earlier that we would come back to her suicide later. 
And all I really want to say about it is that her father, who was working at the site, wrote a really long letter that was translated into English. And I did want to read a part of it because his perspective is rarely mentioned when discussing this story. The TLDR is that he feels that the Bulgarian government was never looking for treasure at all, but was actually conducting research into psychological torture. He feels that his daughter's death is therefore a murder. That psychological warfare was used to convince Marina to jump from the balcony. And that General Minchev, the man in charge of the dig, is the responsible party. Her father writes the following at the end of his note. Quote, My daughter was killed on the 8th of February 1991 at 9.15 when she was forced to jump from a 10th store balcony. The investigative team listed a listed the death as a suicide, but I am convinced that murder was accomplished by means of biosensors of psychological influence. One of my colleagues advised me not to be too preoccupied with my daughter's death, otherwise he guarantees that I will be dismissed from, Bul from the Bulgarian army in two to three weeks. Mr. Minister, it is difficult for me to continue to work amongst my daughter's assassins. I respectfully ask you to transfer me to the military academy, Rakovsky. And our final theory, theory number four, is that the Sarichina Hole was a paranormal location and possibly a cursed paranormal location. So I mentioned during the story that locals were seeing UFOs in the area, but I don't think I mentioned that they were also seeing ghosts. Some villagers even claim that they were receiving distressing telepathic messages, similar to the ones that Maria Platanova received before committing suicide. These villagers claimed that they would hear voices in their heads transmitting messages and relaying thoughts to them that weren't their own. Another rumor that has persisted in the 30 years since the excavation is that the Bulgarian military had successfully found and retrieved an ancient alien craft in the shape of a black triangle buried deep within the hole. In this rumor, the military supposedly takes it back to a top secret location to study it and decided to involve the CIA in this analysis. Seemingly adding some credence to this theory, a Freedom of Information Act request from 2008 in the United States seems to show that the American government might actually have had some sort of involvement with the digging of the Sarichina Hole. And it's going to kind of blow your mind, I think, because mm. I was like, what the fuck? Um, are you familiar with Freedom of Information Act requests? Of course. So... Bulgaria doesn't have this, but the U.S. does, where if you want to know something that the government is doing, you can make a freedom of information request. And then the government is obligated to look at those requests and respond to them. They can deny them. They can say, no, we're not going to declassify that. Or they can say, okay, sure, we'll send you information on that topic. Well, I just sent you a PDF, Natalia, um, in the Zoom chat. And I want you to go to page number 14. Yes. Okay, do you want to read that for It everybody? says, um, on February 20th, or 2208, operation from 1206-1990, or operation from December 6, 1990, to November 19th, 1992, carried out by the Bulgarian Ministry of Defense near the village of Zarichina in, he, in the western region of Kostinabrod, Bulgaria, and excavating object number one. Okay, so what Natalia was looking at is an entire list of stuff that the government um, did release, did send people responding to their 
FOIA requests, their Freedom of Information Act requests with documents that they have, that the U.S. government has, that the CIA has. So it would appear that the United States has some information from that digging at, in 1990, but we don't know what it is. So some people say that oh. that makes it more credible. So then we, therefore, we know it happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, for sure happened. Some locals in the area even believe that what was really excavated may have been a Thracian funeral mound for King Samuel of Bulgaria, and that when the seal to his tomb was broken, a curse was released upon the area. And now we get to the final part of our episode, part six, the discussion. But Natalia, before I ask you for your final thoughts, I would like to cite my sources. Sources for this episode include Wikipedia articles on Serechina, Wikipedia articles on Samuel of Bulgaria, a Vagabond.bg article entitled The Land of Fake Mysteries, Info.Universe, www.info-universe.net, an article written in Bulgarian that I used Google Translate to translate to English for me, a YouTube channel hosted by Slavi of the Clashers. He posted a video where he visits the Serechina Hole in Bulgaria, and he very kindly added English subtitles to that video. I will link to it in the show notes down below if people are curious. Also, the article entitled Economic Crisis and Reform in Bulgaria, 1989-1992 to by Jonathan B. Wright and M. Louise Fox. A website called AboveTopSecret.com. A couple of forum posts on the Serechina case, case were translated by users into English. Also, Forums.Forteana.org. An article on the Serechina Hole in Bulgaria. Panacomp.net's information on the lost Thracian treasure. A book that you can find on Google Books called The Weiser Field Guide to the Paranormal by Judith Joyce. And an article on King Samuel, the irreconcilable warrior on the throne of Bulgaria, published to BulgarkaMagazine.com, written by Salvation of the Saviors. The Encyclopedia Britannica. And an article entitled The Mystery of Serechina by Elora Gogova, published to BalkansInsight.PolsAndPolitics.gr. Natalia, what are your final thoughts on this crazy fucking story? Because it's it's really nuts. Like, at the end of the day, we don't know if this was ghosts. We don't know if this was aliens. We don't know if this was King Samuel uh, you know, maybe it was his body buried in this hole. Since the Thracians believed that their kings were descended from the heavens and like needed to return to Mother Nature's womb, maybe this was an ancient burial mound. And maybe there was treasure if they dug deeper, or maybe the treasure was this body. Um, or maybe it was like that one psychic set, and this is like a weird robot alien hybrid of the first man on Earth. Or maybe it's what um, Laganova said. Maybe it's some sort of prototype of the first man on Earth. I don't know. There's so many fucking ideas. And there were so many more rabbit holes that I just didn't have time to go down. So I'm really interested to hear what our haunties think as well. If you have a strong opinion on this story, go to at Let's Get Haunted and comment on the photo dump for this episode. We would love to hear your opinions. Natalia, what do you think? First of all, Laganova, get the bag. Um, do what you got to do. Support Slay Queen. But I feel like there's something to do with paranormal because all these UFO sightings have happened. 
Yeah, and some people say that like if a, they weren't UFOs, they were just like balls of light that could have been spirits or some sort of like angel that's coming down and trying to tell people like, hey, stop fucking digging. Like you're about to like unleash hell upon Earth. Maybe it is an angel. I don't know. I don't know. This has been like a really crazy episode. It's gone so many different directions. Like you said in the beginning, like there really is something for everyone here. Um, The part about like people going treasure hunting in Bulgaria definitely stuck out to me. And uh, I really would like to go to Bulgaria now and go treasure hunting. Um, But something that has nothing to do with anything that I thought about it, um, just because I got stuck on thinking about treasure, is that these people who put their treasure in strong boxes, what if they put the treasure in the strong box because it was cursed and they wanted to make sure that no one would ever find it. And it's like a mirror to uh, the, the aliens putting their haunted treasure in a strong box, hoping no one would ever find it. Oh my God. This is the aliens treasure. That's what I'm saying. It's their haunted treasure where they're like, you know what? Earth is like getting ready to go into a direction that we are unprepared to deal with. And we have this really valuable thing, but we don't know what to do with it. We can't take it with us, um, but we certainly cannot believe it behind either because they could figure out a way to use it against us um, or it just we just it won't be ours anymore. So we're going to put it down here with all these signs about like, don't get it because it's haunted and all this shit. Um, Hopefully that works. But yeah, that's what I think happened. I think it's the alien treasure. Uh, no, I think you're right. Wow, that's that's fantastic, actually, because nobody has I've never seen anyone post that theory online before. Um, and so now I feel like we're really doing the best job <laughs> out of everyone that's covered this because we have invented a new theory. And that theory is that that prototype of a human being robot thing, whatever it was, was just alien mm. treasure. What if what if they buried it because they were being wiped out? They were in battle with some other beings and they were in the process of being wiped out. And so they just built their strong box and hid their cursed treasure in the soil. Ooh, who's to say? Who is to say? Who are the people that killed them, if that's the case? I don't know. This has been such a fascinating episode, though. Um, Really well done. And thank you for bringing this to our attention, especially since there are some predictions that might come true this year. If you live in Europe, I suggest you move. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Yeah, and if there's a bunch of earthquakes, guys, you know, get your go bags, have them ready um and say your prayers because i really don't think there's anything you can do to protect yourself from both of these (laughs) predictions looking pretty grim well natalia thank you so much for going on this haunted journey with me can i uh i just want to ask you for your sign off well obviously it's brb gotta go to bulgaria so i can go treasure hunting bye bye On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra. 
and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts.